Welcome to episode 234 of the audio experience for basketball officials as we celebrate and wrap up our third year podcasting. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as the support of the referees in this community has been sensational and it's what keeps inspiring me to produce content for you. I want to take a moment to thank every single person who contributed to our program in 2021. Tyler Ford, John Madison, Anthony Khaleesi, Anthony Freschetti, John Cashman, Fabian Jara, John Cloggerty, Joe Munden, Alex Leaker, Darnell Cujo, Sarah Woods, Lisa Mattingly, Natasha Kamey, Maya Shaka, Roger Ayers, Dee Kantner, Penny Davis, J.B. Caldwell, Bill Spooner, Scott Butler, Izzy Serrano, Justin Wallace, Brian Powers, Mark Vaccaro, Jack Krause, Badger Student Officials Organization, Brandon Gibson, Arjan Perovic, Phil Diaspara, love you, Dad, Emery and Brianna Frazier, and a super shout out to my referee family and mentor community on Discord and Patreon, Javid Trotman, Mike Evans, Carmela Garcia, Zach Murphy, Ryan Segleski, Pedro Rodriguez, Will Freed, Corbin Clark, Corbin Crewy, Corey Powell, Anthony Gray, Aaron Hagen, John Scorma, Ashton Dillon, Isaiah Langlois, James Jenkins, James Knight, Jason Hayes, Ken Stewart, Luke Guerra, Adam Zohini, Shanae Joy Jones, Rafael Benitez, Ryan Brazier, Christian Kotar, Donald Griffin, Kalina Tostado, Scott Hamby, Brandon Tolson, Brandon West, Cole McKenney, Easton and Brock, Copenhaver, Elvis Lazardo, Ifani Ophali, Tyler and Denise McCabe, Jack Sella, Jack O'Brien, Jake Wise, Jesse Lynn, Jarrell Pitter, Jose Bustos, Joshua Cott, Joshua Koch, Justin Goldsmith, Keep Kubicek, Kenny Ludlow, Mark Sexton, Matthew Perkins, Mike Neetux Ori, Riley Womack, Nick Burton, Rashad Murphy, Ryan Wetchy, Sam Lanter, Shea Franklin, Shiloh Shumway, Tanner Melvin, Zach Villamar, Marlon Tibbs, and Russ Davis. Couldn't have done it without you guys. Appreciate you so much. We hope you enjoy this episode and stick with us because we are just warming up. And do me one last favor before you go. Have a happy new year. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. That's what I've always wanted to create, too, with Crown Refs, is I always thought of us as a referee team, and we are. And I want to build the biggest referee team now. And I think on Patreon, that's what we can do. We can literally become like a new unit, almost. A new organization, a new epicenter of basketball officials. Worldwide. Being the youngest isn't necessarily being the least skilled. You know, I think it's important to note that in like experience doesn't necessarily equal expertise. But when you're young, you have to you have to respect the experiences that veteran referees have had. Okay. And the longer that you've been on this journey, the more battle scars you probably have. Okay. And there's so much negativity in refereeing that and, and not there's just way more negative things that can happen the longer that you're in this than pats on the back and in these great things. And, and most of the time, there's 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 three referees that get that particular assignment on our staff. There's 12. And even within that 12, maybe somebody's not happy that they didn't get a crew chief assignment or game six or so it's you got to think about it's kind of like teams there's one team at the end of the year that's happy so think about somebody that's maybe had a 20 or 30 year career they've probably had these ups and downs amongst the journey that has wounded them a little bit and so a lot of times 
you can sort of see that. And I think as a young person, you come in and you're ambitious and you have a lot of energy and, and ignorance is a little bit of bliss and, and, and it's, it, there's, it is truly innocence and it's excitement. But I think you also have to respect that that veteran referee has been through a lot, okay? And so normally when you're the younger person in the crew, um, you would do more listening than talking, okay? And that energy in, in, that you bring to the crew, it, there's nothing wrong with that. I would just respect that what maybe that veteran referee has been through, there can be some learning moments there. Um, if it is somebody that maybe doesn't want to help you or, or they give you bad information, just take that information, listen to it. And once you leave, if it's no good, just throw it out. That's okay. Probably not the best to just fight back and say, well, so-and-so told me the other day, like that can be, that can come across as a little bit disrespectful. And I sort of go back to that trust element a little bit, you know, hopefully, you know, and again, sometimes the environments are a little bit different, but if you know people and you've been building relationships leading up to this moment, you know, maybe it, it makes it a little bit easier. You've been helping somebody or it's somebody you looked up to. Um, you already have a little bit of a connection there. Um, but, you know, be yourself. Like, don't try to be something like you, I feel like sometimes people get to the next level and then they feel like they got to be something different or they're almost overly um respectful and it's just like just just be yourself we, we got to try to learn who you are but be humble okay um you know I know that there's a there's a tensity or you know a, a tendency to sort of spend more time on uh the younger person's plays in the locker room and just sort of kind of maybe expect that and brush it off and not take that personal because that can be overwhelming when you get back to the locker room and the conversation or the video plays that come up, like all five of them were yours. And you're like, well, I wasn't the only one that made mistakes out here tonight, you know? And so just accept it, you know, be, be good about it. Be a good learner. Um, be humble. You know, don't, yeah, at that moment, again, we talked about this earlier, you feel a little vulnerable with where your position is. You haven't sort of, um, you know, claimed a spot where you feel maybe secure and so you can get a little uneasy and a little defensive and I would I would advise everybody to sort of fight it you know fight against that um being confident's okay um but you also want to make sure that you're open uh to change and you hear other people's perspectives there's a little good in everybody and you can kind of you can get a little bit of a nugget and even if you don't fully agree with the full message like I though there will definitely be times that somebody will provide a message um in form of evaluation where it may not be the right play but the message that they're trying to tell you is good to know and and it's um, so a little bit a matter of a perspective and being able to sort of see through that a little bit is important and then when you're the young person, I think this is where this is, this is extremely important. Moments and opportunities don't always just happen, but you got to be ready for them to happen. And you can't manufacture moments, but there's going to be a time where it could be a rule or there could be a clock. Let's just say, you know, in our league, if we have a ball that goes off two defenders and it goes out of bounds, um, 
and we don't know who it went off with, and we go jump ball. It's not a it's not a jump ball as a result of a held ball, and so the shot clock goes to twenty four. If the crew is getting ready to mess that up, and you have this moment, and you step up and you fix that clock, that is a moment. That was an opportunity that you met, and so know the rules. Try to do the little things that helps make the crew chief's job or the you know whoever that person is makes their job easier. And so also being a good young referee is just owning your primary, like putting a wall up around your primary where they don't have to worry about you. And so people, if you've been that and you're with people, lesser experienced, you probably worry about stuff a little bit more. You take this onus of the game. You worry about the game a little bit more than you should. And so if you have people that are young, that, that really can take care of their own business, that's a comforting feeling for your partners. So meeting the moment, um, again, from a rule standpoint, or you have this play and it opens up and you're not scared to go call it and you save the crew and it could be a flagrant foul from 40 feet away, those are moments. And can you meet the moment and are you ready to meet the moment? And they don't always happen. But you can't manufacture them trying to say, oh, I'm going to go out of my primary and pick this play up for them and it's not the play. Like you just tried to make something happen that really wasn't what we needed you to do. And so um, there's a lot that kind of goes into that. And you, you do sort of have to navigate it. And I would, I would recommend having people you trust in a small circle, not a big circle of people that you can kind of throw stuff by. But I think, you know, some of the younger people that I've had experiences with, you know, maybe some of the people that I help with Indiana, I've, I've told them this, like, your circle doesn't have to be 15 people where you're sending a play, you know, 10 plays after every game. Like that's a little big, like find two to three people that you can ultimately trust where you can share ideas. And you probably want somebody that has um, a little bit more experience in you that can be honest and give you um, some information, but there's a lot of landmines in that, you know, unfortunately, um, somebody coming up and being young can be intimidating or can be threatening. Um, you don't make the schedule, you know, like people get promoted on our staff and they go from an umpire to a referee and, and maybe people don't believe that you deserve that, or maybe they do, but you don't make the schedule. It's not your fault, you know? And so being a good person and not changing because positionally you got a new position, um, you know, is important. And then you just, you just work really hard and do everything you can. And so I may, maybe sometimes you feel pressure when in those moments younger, when you get promoted and maybe internally, you don't know if you're, if you're ready for that, but um, you know, be respectful, understand what veterans maybe have went through, you know, um, be yourself, you know, be really honest um, uh, and just work your butt off. You know, I, those are just things that young people can do. Um, you know, to, I think to kind of be successful. Division three and NAI and junior college games and, you know, creating newsletters and mm. um, educational content for, for this organization. And I would give them homework assignments and, you know, this will tell you a little bit about the time frame. but, you know, I would get a DVD from a school and I had a, a triplicator in my house and I would triplicate the DVD. A what? Uh-huh. <laughs> And I would, you know, create these mailers and send them their video. I mean, we didn't have Synergy or some of the other uh, huddle or the schools weren't using those services. They were exchanging DVDs. So, you know, I was getting the content and mailing them the DVD. And then I, you know, asked them to break down plays and 
great clips. And so, you know, every official in this organization knew how to do those things because um, we, we taught them that and we gave them that skill set. And so it really kind of springboarded the organization into being self-sufficient and learning how to, um, you know, just work at the craft and, and hone those skills. So um, that that's kind of my my process. I redirected and, and focused my energy instead of, you know, boo-boo lipping around about, you know, not being, uh, continuing to, to be in the WNBA, which was, you know, certainly a great experience. But um, ultimately, I think it was, was a blessing for me to, to move in a different direction. So you were definitely innovating back then. I mean, you're kind of way ahead of the eight ball here. This is the year 2000? Um, this was, I'd have to, gosh. Because um, in your show notes, you mentioned you had developed a website, officiating website in the year 2000, which... Mm-hmm. is incredible so i mean again i'm i'm in the content game right now so the fact that you were doing it 21 years ago putting together newsletters um i can't say enough about your uh dedication to give back to the game yeah i've got a little nerdy side of me i actually have a an, a degree in information uh, technology so um you know i took those skills and applied them to uh to officiating and you know just how to make make this you know this craft a little bit better and you know as you know, Paul, the, um, you know, there's some underserved, uh, organizations out there and officiating certainly one when it comes to the technology pieces. And, you know, probably before your podcast, there weren't, weren't very many, um, that had officiating content. And so, you know, it's, we're all doing the same thing just, uh, with, with different avenues and different platforms. Well, this is the ref nerd network. So let's, let's really geek it out here. Uh, Um, I wanted to bounce back when you were talking about the NBA and NCA and, and juggling two rule books. I know there's a lot of officials listening who have an end goal to eventually maybe rise up to do the pro game, but you got to obviously do high school and college. So having to juggle multiple rule books, how were you able to be successful at that? Well, I, you know, I did my best. And, and frankly, when you're, you're coming up, there's, you know, there, you, you only know what, what your capacity is for, for your experience level. And, and you know, I certainly never became a, a master at at both, um, uh, but I worked really hard at it. And, and you know, you figure out what study methods work for you, and, and nothing re- replaces experience. Um, you know, you can you can watch all the games in the world, but until you're out there in that moment and realize the the trigger, the feeling, um, you're not probably going to learn it quite in the same way. So. You know, just trying to get reps and trying to to really sort it out, and you know, understand that you know only a certain portion of of the officials out there really get to that highest level. And you know, and I I always say, you know, I'm not going to aim for mediocrity. I'm going to aim for for the highest target I I can aim for and and go for it. And you know, I, I may fall short, but if I don't try, I will never know if if that was um, something I was meant to do. And you know having my my pro career end was you know the universe telling me that 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 wasn't what the the intent was and you know i now looking back on it can realize what a blessing it was to to be released and and know that it led me into teaching and to developing these skills and ultimately you know led me to to be in this position as a national coordinator so um that the universe has a plan. We mm-hmm. just don't know it. And sometimes those, uh, those reroutes, uh, <laughs> take us by surprise and we have to, to deal with it. But, you know, trust the universe is, is, uh, got your back and, and the right things are going to happen. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk uh, about another reroute in your career. Penny, one of my mindset beliefs is 
every perceived negative experience or setback or failure or disappointment really is a hidden opportunity to achieve greater success. You know, the concept of taking one step back in order to move two steps forward. I know you had to make a tough phone call in 2019, right before the NCAA tournament. You had to withdraw due to nagging and uh, knee and hip issues. You were coming off working a Final Four the previous season. Could you share... Um, mentally what the process was like and how it turned into a blessing in disguise yeah um you know just just rip the scab off of that uh, that wound there uh, but but in all seriousness that that was probably one of the the toughest phone calls i i had to make and you know you you, you come off of a, a really successful postseason and you want to continue to just springboard off of that and you know we we always talk about putting the game first and, you know, not working when you're hurt. And, you know, we, we know officials do that. And, you know, I've certainly, you know, failed it to, to, um, in, in that realm too, and, and put myself out there when I didn't have my best foot forward. And, you know, we all think we're, we're better than what we are in those moments. And, you know, being honest with yourself and knowing that it is a distraction and, and you have to, you know, it, if you're going to be a professional referee and, and be, you know, a great leader and a great role model, you know, sometimes making those decisions, it stinks and it's hard, but it is the right thing. And not every, not every official is willing to do that. And, you know, the NCAA tournament is, is not the time to be selfish. Um, you can do more damage to your own reputation. Um, if you're out there and you're not hundred percent and ultimately I, you know, I got to that acceptance in my mind <laughs> that that's where I was physically and, and the right thing to do. Um, you know, I just worked a Final Four mm. the year before. I can't go out there and, and look bad in this moment and, you know, end up only working a first round or, you know, getting sent home or, or whatever. And so I, I made the decision. I, I withdrew and, and you know, that was the right thing. And, and you know, I'm glad that I did that because I – I know there will be a time in the future where I'm having a conversation with a referee and, and I'll be able to say, look, I understand. I know how this feels. I did it. You know, you need to get there and, and probably do that too. If you're, if you're in that. So um, that, that was, that was tough, but it was um, frankly a great learning experience. And, and I remember I, I sit, sat on my couch and, you know, I had the bracket out and I literally watched darn near every game. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was an interesting position, and then lo and behold, the the national coordinator position ended up opening up. You know, a few months later, and you know, it, it kind of gave me that that pause to to just kind of reflect and and think on you know, it, should I pursue this? And you know, my phone started ringing with some encouragement to pursue it. The rights of a legal defender. Well, what's wrong with moving? It doesn't mean that it's not a charge if he's not moving. Yeah, I don't want you to use that terminology because you're allowed, well, you're the, allowed to move. That's what the coach was saying. He's saying well, he was but we, they don't know how to talk, so then... Yes. You, coach, that's okay. You're allowed to move. Okay. The, the defender is... That's what I need to yeah, learn how to Well, I'm here to, I'm here to help you. So, yeah, because coaches and, and commentators, they use words like set and he's still moving. They're right. not relevant terms. Right. You're allowed to legally move and take a charge. Do you know how you're allowed to legally move if I have established legal guarding position? Do you know the ways I can move? Side to side, not front to back. Yeah, on a dribble, I can move laterally, obliquely, which means diagonally, or backwards. I can't move forward and create contact. So he establishes legal. He can move a little bit on the dribble. That's fine because he's maintaining his legal guarding position. So 
Natasha, I hear a lot about men wanting to do women's officiating because it's okay. seen as like an easier way of moving up, right? And I'm only saying that because like we're all, we're officials, we know what folks talk about, right? But my question is for you being, right? For you being a woman of color, what was it that made yeah. you have that type of even desire, right? Of wanting to do it? Okay. Just very curious to know. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, as a basketball player, you know, everyone, well, the W wasn't even evolved when I played, but when it was, it's going to the W, you know? Uh, and then, you know, once that was done, Dream had died, uh, or realization more or less kicked in, I was like, okay, um, what other ways could I do it? Could I be a coach, right? So I had done some coaching gigs, like some summer camp coaching things. And I'm not, I mean, I think I'm a good coach, but the emotional toll is too much. Thank God it. Like, the kids weren't listening back then. They sure as hell don't listen now. So I was like, oh, I ain't gonna make it. I ain't gonna make it. I ain't gonna make it. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't, like, do what I said. I'm not arguing with you. Like, just do it, you know? So I was like, eh, this ain't for me. My blood pressure is gonna be too high. I ain't got it. So fine. And then um, my grandmom actually was a ref when I was in college, like my last two years. And I was, begging for some cash as all college students do and uh she was like you know what tired of you asking me for money you need to do this refing thing i'm like i hate the refs absolutely not it's a terrible idea and she was like well if you do some bitty games on sundays you make about 200 bucks and 200 bucks in college was two million dollars what it's like two kegs a case and a shirt you know it's great so i was like i'm in right and uh once i did it i realized that i still got to well you know, with officiating, it's kind of a, a team-ish aspect, right? Like this crew is on the game. We're in it together. Everyone hates us. There's three of us against the world, you know, like real gangster type stuff, which is kind of how you feel as a team, you know, going in the hunt, you know, you're going against a couple of teams that are, you know, maybe they talk trash. They're like, we're going to get this win. So I still got that uh, competitive edge. And then some of the games I have, I have, have had, I'm like, I got the best seat in the house. Ain't nobody got a better seat than me. You kidding me? Like the athleticism, the, the flow, the strategy, you know, the inner, the inner nuances of hearing how the coaches really plan and, and try to, to um, make adjustments, you know, who has a better seat than me and no floor seat giving you a 360 view, bro. It ain't happening. Right. Uh, and then the, the slight control freak that all of us have inside of us. I was like, Oh, this is great. I can like, run a game, get out of there, and I win every game, and this is great. Please sign me up. I'm going to do it. Um, so, you know, being a woman of color, you know, I I, uh, I love that. As I kind of feel, of, you know, as, wear it as a badge, honestly. I've, I don't think of it as an inferior thing. I think of it as a superpower because I feel as though I can I talk to the players. I feel like I can reason with the players as an ex-player. You know, there's sometimes things I can say to them that my partners can't, you know. Um, and so that allows me an edge in regards of crew chemistry, in regards of trying to keep a lid on some of these games. You know, like I've said to some girls, like, yo, you trying to be in this game? We trying to leave. Like, what's up? You know, and they're, if, if Paul said that, it ain't going well, right? Like, who are you talking to? Uh, so, you know, I, I like being in that space, uh, being uh, uh, hopefully an, uh, someone for them to look up to as well. Um, and then just, you know, killing my job with some of my good friends. You know, it's, it's, it definitely has its highs and its lows. I mean, we all know that there's, there's a lot of stuff that comes with this gig, but for the most part, I mean, if you keep the noise out, 
damn, damn good job. If you are a first, second, third, fourth year official, AKA an inexperienced official, you need to be self-aware that you're an inexperienced official and you should have no opinions as an evaluator of referee talent. <laughs> we gotta rewind that one. That was good, bring that one back. You need to be self-aware that you're an inexperienced official and you should have no opinions as an evaluator of referee talent. <laughs> um, but no, but seriously, think about how bad you were in year two. Oh my God. Awful. Terrible. Think about how bad of an, of an observer then you would have been in year two. Yeah. Think about the people you thought were good in year two. I'm, were they good? Are they good now? Did they, did they stand the I test of like time? To talk to people. No. No. <laughs> right? So that's why I, so that's let's take this mindset. That and apply it to the to the conversation we had with that young young gentleman who's a great guy. But as soon as I hear him complain about officials in the Midwest. Yo, these refs in the Midwest were horrible. Do 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 I'm already blowing my whistle. Putting my hand up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like you're complaining about officials. How many years have you been officiating? I think you're pretty new in the game, right? Which is awesome. And I'm here to help you. So take this piece of advice. Like don't complain about another officials. Don't think you're a good observer of, of, an, offici of an official. Right? You know, Just learn. Is, Just be in learn mode. I think it is... Uh, I think officials are one of the jobs that everyone thinks they know how to do. You know? Fans, coaches, other referees, players. Good point. So it's like everyone has the opinion that they know what officials should or shouldn't do, you know? So it's easy for everyone to complain about officials because they think they know, but they have no idea. We're still learning, you know? Every day, you know, I've been doing it 10 years and I learn, I have so much to learn, you know? And you know why I cut them off? It's because that's an example of, of bad partnering. Just that nonchalant, it's a light conversation, right? It's a, kind of a light conversation. But that's bad partnering off the court. Because mm -hmm. you may work with one of those officials one day. And that's why I'm telling you, I should be the union rep for officials in America. In because America. I can best represent um, and, and have officials back, bro. You just gotta get, you just, then you have to get them paid if they come to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> well, that has to be... That's I understand, I understand. <laughs> um, and, and another example of how I have every official's back and this is an example of abuse culture in a in a different form where you wouldn't think this is abuse culture where the coach comes over and cracks a referee joke oh you should have seen the officials we had at the game last week they were horrible and and laughs and expects a laugh from the crowd right and that's where i come in no 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 we're not going to make any referee jokes today i said it in a funny way yeah but that's abuse culture make cracking jokes at how horrible referees are and everybody laughing about it that, that's a reason why it's so mainstream and common for com because of conversations like that that occur. Mm -hmm. That people don't take note of, oh, that is referee bashing yeah. in a funny, in a nice, funny way. So you can imagine the other side of that. The other, you know, it's a big range of abuse. And that, I thought that was interesting to highlight that example. Does that make sense? It does. And how often do coaches want to make those jokes. Oh, you should have seen the rest we had there last week. All the time. All the time. You mentioned in my personalized video a phrase that says, <clears throat> start, develop, finish, decide. 
Um, and I think that's kind of what I wanted to talk about in kind of more in depth. I think I understand what you're talking about, right? You know, let the play start. <clears throat> if we talk about a drive to the basket, let the drive start, let it develop. You know, is the defender going to get in front? Is he going to get behind and try to pull? Let it finish. Does he get to the rim, make or miss the layup? And then I got to decide, was that contact, um, you know, illegal or legal? If it's illegal, I'm deciding. If it's not, I'm still deciding we're letting it go the other way. I think that's kind of what you're talking about, but I'd love to kind of hear more of how you can uh, shed some light on that. Every play has a start, a middle, and an end, right? So when we say start, develop, finish, we don't want you to cut the movie short. We don't want you to decide in the middle. Sometimes you have to decide in the middle, right? If it's obvious, but this um, term is meant to give you a more patient whistle and to let plays develop and then finish. Once they finish, then we decide. We don't decide as they're finishing, really. We gotta let it end. So th this term is just about adding patience and more time to a play. The longer you can watch a play, if me and you can watch a play for five seconds versus watching a play for two seconds, you're going to have more information on the, the five-second play. That's the concept. The more info, mm -hmm. the more time. Time equals information. Information equals better decisions. The more information. Okay? Yeah. Again, you're going to have, you're gonna have plays. You're going to have plays where we, we stop it right at the start because it's a quick whistle. We had to right? There are going to be plays where we didn't let it finish because there was a legal contact before that. Maybe not necessarily applying to the start, develop, finish, decide, you know? So giving it that extra second. And one more tip is you, I think you, you have more time than you think you do during a live ball. Everything feels faster, right? When you watch it on film, you'll say, wow, it, it wasn't as fast as it felt at the time. So just remember, when you're watching a play, just tell yourself, I have more time than I think. Because we're always in a rush a lot of times. We're in a rush to not miss anything. It's a fear of not missing something that causes us to, to be jumpy. Right. And I think the big thing for me uh, is kind of like that self-talk. That's one that I use now regularly is kind of like in a play – not really saying, hey, start, develop, finish, but just having that in the back of my mind kind of uh, unconsciously, not knowing that I'm saying it or it, it allows me to be more patient, right? You know, hey, that play's happening. He's coming to the bucket. Oh, there's going to be some, you know, they're going to contest it at the rim, let that finish, and then I can decide whether that was illegal or legal. Rather than I think you could, you could attest to in this video, I'm probably in the midst of his layup, you know, stopping the play short, you know, whatever it is just like you're saying that extra half second to let them both come down the play develop. And then once it's over, then I can pick it up if I need to, or like I said, play on if it's legal contact. So yeah, think about you know, it. That's been big. I want to shine some light on that. No, it's a great point. Great point to think about. Think about a cheap end one. Um, think about when you call it, let's say a one's going for a drive, going for a layup, B one, a little swipe down on the arm, right? Swipe down low and you stop the play, you call a foul there, next thing you know, puts it in the, in the hole, no rhythm, speed, balance affected, and you're like, damn, cheap end one. It's because you didn't let it, you didn't let it finish. 
if you would have let it finish, that play wasn't finished there. Let's see what the offensive player can do. Are they strong and talented enough to play through that incidental contact? Give them a chance. If they can't, then there's your answer. But if they can have that pain tolerance, have that patience to allow them to finish the play. And then we're like, okay, play on. We're good. We can survive that. So that's I've been able to do that more often now, obviously, since shining some light on that. Um, I feel I know exactly the play you're talking about type of easy, you know, oh, he did touch him. I'm going to grab that because I just saw it versus, oh, he went up and didn't even realize there was contact. Maybe that was incidental or marginal contact. I didn't need to uh, grab that one necessarily. So it's been good. I feel better about it. So at Crown Refs, we spend a bulk of time discussing the communication and game management aspects of officiating. I think it's the hardest skill set to learn, you know, what to say, how to say it, when to say it, who to say it to, what to address, what to ignore, how to know when someone crossed the line, how to draw and communicate the line, how to get the uh, participants to be compliant to the rules. So many nuances of running the game and being the best communicator on the floor. What are some of your communication tips and principles that work so well for you? Uh, well, whew. Um, you know, a lot of times it, for me, it was, I, I, I would go directly at them. I, I didn't want to let them sit there and go crazy forever. And, you know, we, especially in this role, you know, I see a lot of stuff on film where the coaches are over there and, you know, they always tell us don't, don't answer statements. Well, I agree with that. However, I can't let you make statements and statements and statements and statements. I've got to, you know, come over and uh, I, I don't have to have the last word, uh, but I do have a gift of gab, uh, as my mother always tells me. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to let you sit there and talk and talk and talk. I'm going to try to find out what it is. Maybe we can shut that down, uh, any concerns that you have. Uh, down. So I'm a, I'm a talker. I'm more of a, Hey, tell me what's going on over here. You know, why are you so upset? Uh, whereas some people would ignore that until you get asked a question. Uh, I, I am not that person. I, I, I would try to, to ward off any of those problems. Um, but you know, there's a lot of folks that, you know, are very, very successful who, you know, are into ignoring everything until we get to the very, very bad behavior where they can then warn and, and tea. Um, uh, but for me, it's always been the direct approach and, uh, you know, I just try to be as honest as I can. I'm always one that gives myself up, whether it's, uh, to my coaches or to my, uh, partners or whatever. Uh, now you can't be giving yourself up on every play. You can't go over there and tell you, I screwed that one up or I didn't have a great look or whatever. Uh, I mean, obviously we need you to be better play callers, but, uh, you know, making sure that you're just being honest and, and uh, honesty goes a long way in a lot of our, uh, a lot of aspects of our business. I like, you know, your mention about question or comments. It's, it's a bit of a broken model that they teach in the class. Only respond to questions. So we're just going to let them say whatever they want. If it's mm -hmm. not in question form, that's going to um, set you up to fail. We obviously have to address statements and comments mm -hmm. um, in order to get them back, back to the line. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I'll give you, this is a Reader's Digest version. And, and, and I put this together with some thought and, and I pulled in some other information. But this is really geared to be a roadmap for any referee um, as, you, as you continue to work on your craft. Number one is building your foundation through solid fundamentals and mechanics. It's listed number one for a reason. Because without number one, two through five, really, it's not, you'll, you'll never reach 
you'll never reach your full potential. You have to work on your fundamentals and the, and that includes your rotation system. And let me see if I can pull it. I have the presentation here. I wanna make sure I don't um, miss it, but, um, uh oh, hold on. Rotation system, uh, coverage areas, positioning adjustments, good signals, advanced teamwork through eyes. And I won't go into the deep dive of that, but it's just, it's just working on fundamental things. The second one is communication, which you touched on. Um, the third one, uh, not listed in the order of importance is just fitness. And I do have one thing to say about fitness. Um, you know, we don't even use the term eye test anymore or anything like that, but here's the key about fitness. Uh, and you don't have to be you know, you, you don't have to be super, super fit, but you got to be in shape. You got to be the best version of yourself. Where it, where it impacts you is that the first thing I talked about was the fundamentals. If you're not in shape or if you're not in good condition, it's going to impact your execution of the fundamentals. It's going to impact your ability to get in shape, to make, you know, that initial dependable position and then make quality adjustments. And at the end of the game, fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. So if you could, at the end of the game, when it's, it's the critical time, we're all tested, we're all tired. And then if we're not in shape, it's gonna be magnified. That's all I wanna say about fitness. So we wanna look professional, we wanna have great appearance, but really the key is that, you know, you could, it's gonna impact your mobility your ability to get up and down the floor and cover the floor. The fourth one was run the game. And the fifth one, I listed last, but it's, it's the one that gets most referees in the most trouble. And that's administrative details or administrative duties. They don't take care of off-court things. They don't get in the rule book and study the rules. They think they can, by the way, rules knowledge is a breeder of tremendous confidence. When you start getting a grasp of the rules, your confidence level on the floor and when the coach or someone that comes at you and you you really understand the rules um and by the way you don't have to be you know I, i'll mention a shout out for al batista who's the best rules guy in the world that i know but i'm not saying you have to be at that level but you've got to have a firm grasp of the rules and it, it will give you confidence. so those are the five and what was that warning for again and then he asked again and I said, unprofessional communication. And then I just kept running down. The coach of the other team was like, oh my God, like how many of you would say unprofessional communication? I think that's extremely appropriate to say. And one word I'm using this year, and I want you guys to use it, unprofessional. Coach, I need you to speak more professionally to me. I think that's one of the greatest words to use to a coach. And I don't know what took me so long to do it. It took me, took me 10 years to break that out. This year I broke it out. It's I'm three for three, because when you when someone's acting unprofessional in a workplace and you call them on it, they're not going to act more unprofessional after that. You know, so that was a case where I just gave the coach a quick explanation just to keep the game moving. But what I'm saying is don't go out of your way to go re-explain the call to the coach. You know, just let him let him live with that one. You know, leave him alone on his island. And our partners should not go up to the coach after one of us gives a technical foul. Unless he's still going crazy and you have to defuse. I mean, and that's optional too. 
You don't have to go up and defuse that. You know, that could just be a, an attack and an ejection. I just like, we like to be proactive, you know, but, um, you know, we can't, if you're, if you're a partner, last thing we want to see is you going up to the guy and like listening to him vent. You don't get to vent after a technical foul. So Timothy Cody, got to give him a shout out. Timothy Cody says, what was the best player or coach interaction you had? Uh, real quick, uh, I had the uh, 86 semifinal between Kansas and Duke, and we did not referee real well. We were in Dallas, and Larry Brown was the coach of uh, Larry Brown was the coach of Kansas, and we got Danny Manning in foul trouble early. Must have been Take a long story. I come back and have the 88 national championship between Oklahoma and Kansas. And I know Larry Brown was not happy with the 86 performance of the referees. And I told the crew going in, just be prepared. Larry Brown is not going to be happy to see me in this game. I said, so I'm going to give him some rope up to a point. I'm going to, because he's going to take his shot. Danny Manning was still playing. It was, and... We get into the game. We play five minutes. The first foul I call happens to be against Danny Manning. And Larry Brown let me have it. What did he say to you, John? He said, are we going to have another night like we had two years ago? Are you going to get, you know, I, honestly, he may have had the right to say that. Okay. Because I told you, we didn't do a real good job. Okay. Are you, is this, is this the kind, is that what we're going to look at tonight? Okay, so I, I told my crew, this is going to happen. He's going to get his shot. And how do you respond to something like okay. that? Okay, you talk about interaction. I let him, he did it. I went over, I didn't go into his huddle. You never want to go into a coach's huddle. They broke from timeout. I brought him out on the floor. I says, coach, you got your shot. It may have been deserved. You say one more thing about the officiating understand that I'm going to enforce the rules. Love it. Okay. He, and you know what? He looked at me. He got he he got his pound of flesh. And then we moved on. And he didn't say anything more because he could argue about another double dribble or walk, but he wasn't going to say anything more about fouls on Danny Manning. I I allowed him that rope. He I don't know if he deserved that. But I knew it was coming. I love your approach, John. And, and one great thing that you said, and a lot of officials ask me or, or just ask this question in general, when do we go talk to a coach? When's the best time? And you did it at the exact best time. You're not going to go in during the huddle. But once that timeout breaks, his players have left. The coach has taken a breath. He's forgotten about previous possessions. He's all ears now. That's when you go and deliver your message. Do you find that that's the most opportune time? It, it is the most opportune time. Uh, those coaches, you don't want to break their their huddle. You don't want. He's talking to his team. Okay, he's giving them instruction. If you show disrespect to him, going in his huddle in front of his players, you're asking for trouble. You are asking, you've disrespected him going into his huddle. Wait, there's plenty of time. You've got 15 seconds. He's breaking his huddle. They're coming out on the floor. Walk over to him, and I just said, Coach Brown, we're done. We're done.
And, and he understood both. He shook his head just like you are. He shook his head and said, okay. We're, we're, you know, he, got his, he got his dibs in. You know, it's funny. That's a response I'll use. Um, let's say a coach is barking at me during a live ball or I don't have a chance to respond. Um, kind of like an in- interruption to the game or a distraction. You know, I'll go up to him at the end of the timeout and say, coach, with all due respect, I would never interrupt your huddle when you're talking to your players and try to, you know, force you to lose focus. Please have that same respect for me. Let me allow me to focus on the play. Normally, that that goes off pretty well. Yeah, it goes well. See, you're not being threatening. Officials shouldn't threaten a coach. Okay, I mean, it, it, it it's wrong. Don't don't muscle up on a coach. Do just what you said, coach. You know, this works both ways. I will respect you. You do the same thing with me. Confusing yeah. a player when they react after a foul. It's a foul. Okay. What number are you? I have something different. Thank you so much. Shooter right here. Fouls on blue tin. Block. So six years ago, so this would have been like December 2014. It's it's my last year in the D-League. Yeah, my last year in the D-League. I'm working... Uh, like 10, 12 games in the Big Ten. I'm working NBA regular season games. I went to the vet camp. So, I mean, at the snap of a finger, like a lot of things went right. And and so I have a game. I, I literally was my only non-Division One D-League NBA game. And it was on a Wednesday in like the first week of December in uh, at Frankfurt uh, or Franklin College. And they were playing Hanover. And I – I didn't know Hanover. I, I literally had this game and it just the way the schedule went out, I wasn't, I'd already been turning enough games back. You know, I'm working this game. And so I'm with a friend of mine, Eric Lowe, and then a, a veteran that had been around for a while, Merlin Nice was on the crew. And so we're, we're talking in most conversations, people are talking about kind of where they've been and whatever. And, you know, I'm coming off a couple NBA games. I had, you know, some, some division one games in the big 10 and, and, you know, Eric was talking about kind of where we were going that weekend. And, and I had, you know, I think Michigan that, that Saturday, or I remember this week. So we come out, Hanover coaches, this young guy, he's never seen me. And I'm like the U2 on the crew. It's, it is what it is. Right. And you come off these games, like in a division three game it is in like slow motion. And it's <laughs> not to necessarily say it's easier because it gets kind of hard in that moment. Right. So there's a play that happens and I remember sort of my back on the other side of the table. And so the Hanover coaches kind of to my right and like his player, like kind of drums and he started like snaps his head. And I'm sure he's probably used to that. And I'm just standing there like there's nothing. And he, he kind of looks and, and this guy goes to the rim, jumps into somebody falls down and he's like, nothing. And I'm like, no, I mean, it's just not a foul, you know? And so, a block charge play happens a couple minutes later. And I can see this guy, like this just energy's building over there, right? He's becoming upset. It, it, it doesn't, it's not a hard play. And there's another play and he's kneeling down. He is like trying to just stare through me. And so we were at like the 12 minute mark of the, the first half or something. And this guy's kind of like, he's pissed at me. He doesn't know who I am. It's no clue. So I'm at lead administering a free throw two free throws, matter of fact, and Eric is over there. And this coach says, is this his first game in this league? Okay. 
Now, at this time, I'm like, I'm 29 years old. I look like I'm 20, 21, right? They has no idea who I am. And so, Eric, it's really funny as we kind of tell this, like I've told this story, like I've told it publicly like this, but he says, this year in this league tonight, yes, that was his answer, <laughs> okay? And he goes, where is he from? And Eric responds, the NBA. And like I'm looking over and I'm watching this sort of happen, and I don't know every word, but I sort of see that part, and the guy, like, his jaw drops, and he's like, like the Indiana Pacers. And he's like, yeah. And, and Eric just kind of being, he's just sort of like poking the bear a little bit. He's like, if you want to see him, like he'll be on TV Saturday or something. And the guy's like in shock, right? But the next, so we have like a media timeout, I want to say it like the eight minute mark. And I went to Eric and I was like, did he just ask you where I work? And he's like, yeah, I'll tell you at halftime. This guy never said another word the rest of the half, right? Not a word. We get to maybe like 10 minutes left in the second half. He, he said something on maybe every other possession for the first eight minutes of the game. There's this interaction. He doesn't say another word. I finally get over in front of his bench and he walks up and he goes, I am so sorry. <laughs> right. Because now all of a sudden I had credibility and he didn't know it. And that to me is what's unfair about how coaches and teams like treat young people. They have no idea if you're good or not. Okay. And so I just thought that 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 story in that moment, it was hilarious. And like, I was like, look, like, it doesn't mean I'm not going to miss a play, you know, and I, and I hope maybe it sort of changed how he maybe approached some young people because you just never know who you're going to have on that particular game. What does the impact that I have created mean to me? Being able to break a race and a gender barrier is a huge moment in my life, but it's also a huge moment uh, for my community, for the young ladies that I teach every day, for any young lady that I come in contact with. It just shows them that, you know, that as long as they work hard for something, things are possible. And it really does not matter, uh, you know, if you never played a sport, if you never played it, doesn't matter what limitations that you think you may possibly have. I just think it's real important that you continue to strive to reach those goals. And in the National Football League, we have women that are not only officials, we have women who are working in the replay. We have women who are working as agents. There are a lot of women now who are coaches. And so by me being able to walk amongst, you know, students every single day and me being able to share my journey with them and tell them about these other other ladies that I come in contact with, it's just more motivation for them. Uh, to strive harder and maybe to reach their goals and aspirations as well. And you have to understand people get advanced and people get games for some reasons that don't have anything to do with probably what's going on in the game at that point. You know, it's, it becomes a numbers game. So at that point there, you just really just have to believe in yourself. In terms of roadblocks or anything that's bouncing back at you, you know, my best advice is to always just focus on the process. And when I learned how to do that, just focus on the process and really respect the grind, you know, putting in the work of conditioning and watching film and, you know, talking to coaches and talking to players, you know, before the games and, you know, doing the right things in scrimmages, uh, taking that extra time, you know, just to, you know, just to learn the game. Uh, I think that 
for me, that was more exciting than actually seeing the results of it. And so once you start to invest in the process, you're not worried about any roadblocks or barriers. Because that's always going to happen in life. You know, it's going to come to a point where those same people that put up those barriers for you, once they see how well you're doing and they see everybody else jumping on the bandwagon, they're going to jump too. So you can't fight those battles head on. Those are just battles that you have to fight for work. You know, Maya, I thought a real interesting crossroads that you've documented before is sort of expressing some frustration about where you were in your football career at the time and then how you decided to become a certified basketball official. And it gave you that added toughness and swagger that you were missing to take your game to the next level. So this is a two-part question. Talk about how becoming a basketball official helped you grow as a football official and then also about the tutelage of decorated NBA referee Tony Brothers and what he meant to you. Okay, that this is this is actually a really cool chapter in my life because it, it came to a point actually it's right after I stepped off that field in um in Kansas City and I crossed paths with Chuck and he told me to trust him about football. Things for me on the NFL side started to started to decline. I was still in the loop, I was still being looked at, but I was I was no longer getting, you know, like training camp assignments. And so at that point, it's easy for somebody to say, okay, well, I don't think anybody's looking at me anymore. I'm going to get into a slump. And for me, it was weird during that same time of the year because my training camp season was, I believe, in August. I went back. I worked a full college schedule. I did fairly well. But sometimes you just get that vibe where you know that things are just off. And I was on my way home for one of my college games, college football games. And I was sitting next to an ESPN uh, camera guy who recognized me. And he, under, he knew that I worked football, and we started the conversation about basketball. And he asked me if I ever officiated basketball. I told him, no, I, I played, but I never officiated because I've just been so, you know, so hard grinding away at the football game. And he says, well, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. He's sitting about two seats behind us, and that person was Leroy Richardson, who's not, another NBA mm-hmm. official. And I talked to Leroy. We, at, we played in Norfolk. And we walked from, you know, the gate where the plane uh, let us off all the way to the, to the parking garage. And it was funny how we were parked on the same floor. And that's really, like, what are the odds? Like, in the airport, if you're parked on the same floor, then we start walking. Our cars are maybe about three or four spaces, you know, away from each other. And so Leroy gives me his card. And this was, I believe, in November. And he gives me his card. And he lets me know that himself and Tony Brothers are taking over our high school association. That was close. And they would love to have me come out and officiate. I've told him I never really officiated basketball. All I knew was football. But, you know, he was just letting me know, hey, you're an official. It doesn't matter. You'll be fine at it. You know, you have training. You can talk to coaches. You'll be great. So I took his card and put it in my pocket. Didn't think anything more of it. I worked the rest of my, worked the rest of my college season. I worked the East-West Shrine game in January. Once that was over, I called Tony up the following day, and he put me on the the following week, he put me on the court with a a rec game, like in Norfolk, like some peewee kids. And I had no no idea what I was doing. I think I was standing at half court when they were shooting free throws. It was all bad. I just remember going to YouTube and watching all the YouTube videos of, like, basketball mechanics try to get it down pat because I've never sat in a mechanics class for basketball. And so that was just weird. Tony came out and worked with me in a rec game in, in the nice. middle of his NBA season. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they were getting ready to go with the all-star break. And he came out and worked the rec game with me uh, 
I think like an 11 and under game. And then he worked with me a night in an adult league, which was really cool to see someone who works at the highest level and someone who's pretty much a mastermind of what they do. He's one of the best, yeah. you know, in the NBA to still come out and work work games and work, and work rec games and invest in his community. And he just did on the spot training with me right then and there. He taught me mechanics, taught me where I needed to stand, what I needed to do, taught me about coverage. Uh, you know, just working working a three-man game. And this was all during my first year. So I took all that. He goes away, and I take everything that he taught me, and I started applying it to AAU basketball. So I treated AAU basketball like I treated a high school season because I didn't get it. I started officiating um, basketball in February 2018. And so AAU and summer ball, everything to me was uh, like high school. And I started working some pro-am that same summer. And I was just doing very well at it. And Tony's main thing was I had all the poise and the presence. I just need to understand coverage and how really how to call contact because, you know, I'm, you know, officiating a sport that was all about contact and they call contact different yeah. <laughs> in football. So there were some <laughs> things I was letting go. There was also some times where I'll be afraid to throw, a, you know, I wouldn't say afraid to throw a technical foul, but I thought basketball officials had rabbit ears because, mm-hmm. you know, people were cussing all the time, like yeah. in a, on a football field and you don't pay any mind. But I guess in basketball, you can hear it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you're supposed to, like, foul that as a foul? <laughs> he said, yes, they can't talk to you like that. I said, oh. That that was just a culture shock to me. But just underneath him, he taught me how to make, you know, good decisions on the court, you know, understanding time and circumstance, and, you know, different ways and different techniques to communicate with coaches and players, and how to de-escalate situations, and being able to project strength and project confidence, like, on the court. And all those things, those are like missing pieces that I had, like as a football official. Once I started to really intertwine that, you know, after working a a summer of basketball, Mm. I go work a fall full of football. And I would take some of those things on the football field with me that I learned on the basketball court. Mm. You know, we barely do preliminary signals in football and basketball. It's all about your signals and reporting. And so once I started bringing that into it, I'm from a distance, you know, 30 yards away, giving a preliminary signal to my referee with confidence, you know, that brought a lot of attention. People are like, okay, where did she come from? Mm. Like, she just looks good out there. So it's all about just merging those two worlds together. And Tony's actually really good because um, not only does he do a lot, you know, for basketball officials, he also does a lot within the community. And I think that's huge. So he's a good person that I can like rely on for professional advice. And I think that's also important, like within a mentor. So, I mean, I'm just very fortunate to be able to be associated with them. So, Lisa, you obviously were an official. You support officials. You work with officials. Um, but being a coordinator, now you have to kind of play middle person between the coaches and the officials. Just talk about how you balance hearing out the coaches but still supporting the officials. That's a great question. Actually, that was a uh, that was an interview question, uh, kind of like, hey, you you're going from being a colleague to now being a boss. You know, how do you balance that? Um, are you going to have a problem with that? Uh, and you know, that is a um, uh, it, it, I, I, people tried to prepare me for for some of the uh, the ways that the coaches um, how direct they were or how they would you know they were a certain way here, but then they were a certain way behind the scenes kind of thing. Um, so, but nothing prepared me for how it was actually, um, you know, some of the, the things that, you know, as officials, we go out there, if we don't hear from our coordinator, we think everything's going along swimmingly. Well, 
not always. We just don't. We just don't bore you with all the details that we hear because uh, you know they're they're not always accurate as we just pointed out. Um, you know, I would say that uh, the toughest part for me is, uh, you know, because the coaches already come in with a perception that I'm going to defend everything that the officials do, and uh, that's just not true. You know, I I treat my post game with a an official now, just like I did when I was a crew chief or, or just a, a member of the crew. We're just going to talk openly and honestly about it. I'm not going to, you know, try to berate or belittle or, or anything, but we're just going to be honest. We're going to say, Hey, I thought you did a great job with, with that play right there. And I, you know, I wish we'd have done a better job here, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the coaches, you know, I, you know, I'm open and honest with them and I go, Hey, by rule, you're exactly right. Or, Hey, you know, we should have had a foul on this. I mean, that's obviously a pull down here. But I, but, but then, you know, there's other times when I have to say, you know, hey, these here's the two plays back to back. You know, and they're they're exactly the same. Um, so, you know, I want you to look at that. And you can't be, we can't. I just want officials to know that you can't talk referee speak to a to a coach. You know, we talk about similar plays or hey we just passed on that down there or whatever there's some coaches you can but a lot you can't you can't say things to a coach like that's a flop you know a coach uses that language but if a referee goes over and say coach you flop ooh your player flopped that's that's bad that's bad mojo right there you know hey coach he's got uh, didn't fit the definition of you know a charge or, or whatever it is I'm sorry, I just want to stop you there because I know the flop now has been added in recent years, right? For men's, the men. Oh, not for women still. Not yet. We're trying to get that. It's on the rules agenda for this year. Um, I hope we get something. It's been a total, I mean, it's a, you know, also they also want the hook and hold and, you know, the halo thing and, and whatnot. But uh, I think the flop, uh, you know, FIBA has, has a great rule with that. So I hope we get something like it. The reason why I ask you is because I know exactly what you mean prior to the, the flopping rule coming into the NCAA to tell a coach his player flopped was like cursing at him. Mm-hmm. It was so offensive. Flop. What? Yep. what? Now it's part of the game that we're trying to eliminate. So we have a little bit more leverage in using it, you know, but I, if it's not in your game, then I understand. Yeah. And I hope we're going to get there. I mean, cause I do think that, you know, we, we've made some knee jerk rule changes just because of something happening here or there. Um, you know, I'm hoping that I think this will be a good change. If, but but then they they worry about, you know, an official who doesn't recognize. Well, I just think it should be reviewable. I mean, you know, do whatever we do with it. But uh, I do think we need to add it to our game because I'm telling you, some of these kids, they're the number of concussions they're getting because they're throwing themselves. I mean, it's almost as bad as soccer uh, flopping. <laughs> it, and, and, and it's a fool, the referee. It's a technique. A lot of them are being taught it's being taught uh and i don't know at what level whether it's at the d1 or before they even get there but it is being taught and and you know it puts the officials in a bad spot because you know you're it it, but really it's all about creating contact creating space i'm sorry uh so it can be minimal contact major impact uh but still when you know it it doesn't feel good to get uh get fooled like that and i i just wish we'd add a some kind of penalty you know, you make incremental progress and sometimes you got to come back down and wait for the storm to come back through, right? And so I've had coordinators change, right? I build this rapport with, with whomever and then they retire. 
or maybe someone else gets a job. And now I'm like, oh man, here we go, right? And so, you know, thankfully I've been able to weather that storm, but there aren't officials that were able to kind of navigate that, you know? And it's unfortunate because that just comes with the gig. It's like anything, like you get a new boss at your job, you know, some people get fired, some people stay, some people get hired. It's just how it goes. But, you know, being able to kind of stay in that moment, you know, pivot when you have a situation that doesn't necessarily work out or it's not working out. You know, maybe, you know, I wanted to stay in a certain conference and it wasn't benefiting me anymore. I wasn't getting, you know, the experience that, you know, I was aspiring to get, but another conference offered me that opportunity. You can't be scared to do, do what you need to do for your career and for your business, you know? And so for me, I look at setbacks, you know, again, just reading that book, it's just kind of seeing it from a, from a bigger lens, you know, trying not to just hone in on what's going wrong, but what can I take away from this scenario? You know, how can I grow? How could I have handled this better? How can I communicate next time this situation might arise so that I don't necessarily make those same mistakes? I want to be better as a person. And, you know, the setbacks that I've experienced personally and professionally, you know, I'm grateful for. You know, I don't see them as a loss. I see them as a learning experience. And I think that it just contributes to my ability to help others, to be able to reason with others, to tell them, hey, I know, Right now, it feels like it's the end of the world, but I'm telling you, there's more people to work for, there's more games coming, you know, and God willing, if you see another season, this is your next shot, you know, maybe so-and-so didn't pick you up this year. What can you do differently? What can you control, you know? And for me, I was trying to break through, I was trying to get to the highest level that I could in multiple conferences. I just couldn't get through, I couldn't understand what it could be, you know, what I was doing wrong. And like I said, people were giving me nuggets here and there. And finally, I just said to myself, I gotta be Natasha, man. I just gotta, I gotta blow the whistle the way I blow. I gotta hit that mechanic the way that I do. I gotta use my voice with my tone. Um, I gotta be able to smile. I gotta be able to be stern. I gotta be able to just be myself, which is a balance of many things. And I think that once that light bulb went off, once I realized that the best version to give these guys to hire me was me, I mean, there's been no turning back. And I feel great knowing that every single person I work for knows who I am, right? They're not getting a rendition of Natasha. They're not getting, you know, this Natasha that works in the ACC. It's just me. I'm the same official I was yesterday as I was tomorrow night or, you know, several nights ago. It's just me. You know, and I think coaches can respect that. I think my partners can respect that because I don't want anyone ever to feel like they, they don't understand who they're going to get out of me, you know, and I'm just going to do the best that I can at that. And so, you know, without that setback, I could have tried to mirror other people and, and maybe I would have gotten far or even further than I am now. Um, but you know what? That wouldn't have been true to who I am. And so uh, I'm really grateful for the setbacks that I've had. And uh, again, like I said, they're lessons. So. Bring them on. Thank you for listening to the Proud Podcast. It's nice to put in the, the work and then see your credibility rise from those yeah. years that you put in, you know, honing your craft and now you're able to give back to other officials. It's so important to, to learn through losing. And as you said, um, you know, you turned your failures into lessons. What mindset tips do you have for someone who's feeling frustration, maybe over where they're at in their career? Ooh. 
Because we're all going to have that. Like, just as referees, you're naturally going to have it. And as a competitor, you're going to have it. And so it's very similar to, you know, what I said before, just focus on what's in front of you. Mainly focus on being the best at the level that you're at, okay? So if you're a basketball official and you're stuck on high school and you can't get picked up somewhere, are you a high school crew chief is what you need to look at. Are you Or are you always stuck in the U1 and U2? You know, what can you do to make sure that you become a crew chief? And then once you become a crew chief on high school, now what are you doing also to help recruit and to help enhance your board? And then when you move up to the next level, same thing with college. You know, there are different steps that you have to take. You know, everybody's going to come in at the U2. You know, you come at the U2, you become a U1. And after being a U1, are you a crew chief? And are you a great crew chief? So just focus on what's in front of you and just be the absolute best. And I think that's what happened to me. I was trying to skip steps for a little bit, like with football. You know, it was great. You know, I shot up straight from high school, straight to D1. I didn't I didn't really have to go through the hardships. And a lot of that was I talked to my college supervisor, Gerald Austin. He told me that he brought me straight to Conference USA because he knew that my road would be 10 times harder than any man. And so he understood, you know, football is not as progressive as, as basketball is. You know, the NBA already had women in the, in the league for 20 years before football decided to put one in. Let's just be honest. So he knew... He knew I wasn't ready for Division One, but he also knew that I would get discouraged if I did not go underneath his tutelage immediately. And so he took that chance on me. And so I kind of just stayed in Conference USA for years and years and years when other people were jumping ahead of me. And I was focusing on the wrong thing because I got so much that was given to me, you know, right up front, that I wasn't even focused on being the best line of scrimmage official in Conference USA at the point. I was trying to jump from Conference USA to the NFL, which wasn't possible. I had to go and pay my dues that way. So, I'm interested to hear about that first year at the Division One level. You worked what four or five years on the high school level, and then boom, right to D1. Had that first game go? Had that first year go? All right. So I worked. This is crazy. I actually worked. I think maybe I worked three years of high school. Three years? Yeah. After my third year, I worked like a state championship in Virginia, and then. I went to a college camp trying to get into the ODAC. Again, that's funny. All my career, all of my paths start at an ODAC camp. So I was trying to get into ODAC on D3. My supervisor saw me there, and he got me straight to D1. I wasn't trying to go to D1 from high school. It happened. And that culture shock, because I've never watched myself on film. High school, you don't have film. Now they have huddle where you can see it. You know, this was back when I started officiating, like in 2007. That wasn't really a thing and just to be able to look at yourself on film and just see what you really look like it's just shocking like you think you're like the best thing ever and then you watch yourself on film you're like man I'm trash (laughs) so so true uh yeah I I was trash Mm -hmm. and you know just understanding almost looking like a fish out of water Mm -hmm. and there was even a time where I was at a point in the game and it's a blowout game I think a team was I was at maybe University of Houston when Case Keenum was a quarterback yeah Someone was coaching, and Houston was running something crazy, like uh, 200 plays a game. Yeah. In comparison to basketball, it's really similar to what they're doing now, like the under seven seconds, and and they want to get a shot up. Like, it's that fast pace for for football. It's crazy. And I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And one of the observers there actually told me that I don't belong here, and I've bitten off more than what I can chew. Somebody actually told me that. That was, you know, in a leadership position, which he probably – was right but you know I came in underneath somebody who's a teacher 
and he just wanted to see if I would be able to keep up with the pace of the game. He wasn't interested to see if I was going to make, you know, the right calls or the best calls. He just wanted to make sure I'd be in the right spot and be able to communicate, you know, which I, which I was. I think it was about 110 degrees at 7 o'clock at night in Houston, and I was soaking wet, full of sweat. There was no breeze at all. And that was tough. As I was reading your bio, I saw a really cool story when, you know, your career came full circle this past season. You were working a high school game, your last high school game, in fact, and you got a chance to work your last high school game with the same crew as you did your first high school game a decade before. Talk about the serendipity and, um, you know, what that experience and what those officials meant to you. Yeah, so um, in my high school chapter, my commissioner was always very supportive of me. And the crew that he placed me on, this is, again, when we're talking about being people who are being with people who are going to prepare you. The crew he placed me with, those guys were working college football every Saturday. They were CIAA officials, and some of them were officials in the MEAC. And every Friday night, instead of working high school mechanics, we worked college mechanics on the field. So I was working college rules. Well, co- college, I was going to the study sessions. and But on the field, we worked high school rules, but I worked college mechanics. And so they taught me everything I know, like in terms of how to get me to a college level to perform, you know, how to look the part. And I'm just very thankful for that. And they've always kept me grounded. And I've always kept a great relationship, you know, with my very first crew chief. And, you know, I never had the opportunity to go back and work with them because, you know, high school football, college football is played at the same time. And, you know, we had to leave on a Friday. Friday night is when, you know, the high school games happen. So I miss their season every single time. And so this year, because of COVID, you know, high school was played in the spring. And that was just a perfect opportunity for me to go back, you know, one last time and and be able to work with my high school crew again. And it felt the same. Like there wasn't anything different. They didn't treat me any different. They still yelled at me the same way that they yelled at me, which rightfully so, because I was looking at some things, you know, I haven't looked at a high school game in forever, you know, but they don't treat you any different, you know, because they still want to do things the right way on the field. And I was just very appreciative of that. I think that's probably right now my most memorable moment, you know, Mm -hmm. as a football official is being able to go back and still be welcomed by the same people where you got your start. Must be amazing for them too to kind of watch you progress and then get to watch you in the fall and then moving forward. I'm sure they're going to be watching, uh, smiling at you. (laughs) Now, Maya, um, you know, most females don't grow up playing the sport of football. At least my daughter won't grow up playing the sport of football. So besides seeing yourself, um, you know, wearing an NFL uniform, what are some other ways we can inspire females to become a football official? Yeah, so it's just really if you love it, that's the thing. Like, you don't necessarily, and I think I'm, you know, the perfect person to say this because I never played, you know, competitively. I played in the neighborhood, but I just love sports and athletics, and I just like to, like, kind of order people around a little bit. I think that's my love for officiating. I'm in charge, and you can't argue with me. So uh, if you just really have an interest, I would just encourage anybody to get involved. And it doesn't even really have to be on a field. Like, they're looking for women to work replay. Like, we have women that are coaching in the National Football League. And I just think that's a beautiful thing, like, now how it's becoming progressive and there's respect for women to be on these levels. Like, and there's a place for us in this man's world as long as we show the commitment. But the thing is, you have to be be the person to take that step out there and not be afraid to being the only person and not being afraid to being, you know, to working with people who don't look like you and working with people who don't think the same way that you do. It's up to you to learn 
you know, learn from those people, learn their culture, and so just to, so they can be a part of something. So. And what can more men, male officials, do to help promote women and help you know level you guys up to where we don't say woman official, men's official, it's just an NFL official. Well. And, and that, that's the weird thing. I never address myself as being like the, the, the woman official or the female or the black female. That's never me. That never comes out of my mouth. And that's just something that's obvious. It's the elephant in the room. And I think that, you know, as long as women, we continue to not want to be, have any di- like different titles or we don't want different treatment and we just look to be fair. Uh, I think guys will become less intimidated by that and they should become more welcoming. Uh, also, what would help is, you know, there are not a lot of women that are in, like, leadership positions, mm-hmm. you know, in the National Football League. And I think once that becomes a normalcy for women to be in leadership positions, you know, they're calling the shots and making decisions, then the playing field might be a little more even. You know, I'm always the type of person where I don't want you to give me something. I want you to teach me how to get it so I can always create my own. And once we open up that door for women to be in those decisions, you know, the, you know, the, in the decision seat, I think we will see... Uh, you know, more women involved. So I think, who was it? Um, I was reading something about the NBA a couple of years ago that they wanted their staff to be 50-50 almost mm-hmm. at one time. Is that Adam Silver who said that? I think I read that, that they, that they wanted their staff like to be 50-50 and you actually see, you know, that they've had women on this on the courts, mm-hmm. you know, coaching for a long time and they got ladies in, in GM positions. And if you look at it with basketball, you have men coaching women. So why don't you have women coaching men is what I'll, you know, always look at it that way. You know, so women's, you know, you don't hate to differentiate between a men's and a women's game, you know, but you have some women's players who, you know, understand the game just as good, if not better than some of their male counterparts. It's just some physical differences as to why they're probably not in the men's game. Let's talk about your teaching career. I know you have a decorated 15-year teaching career, and it's one of the things I connected with you on. I'm a fellow phys ed teacher for, for 11 years now, and I got into teaching before I got into reffing, and it's just amazing how it provided a perfect platform for me to teach during those hours, 8 to 2.20, and then you know have the freedom to go pick up something like officiating and fall in love with that. Sounds like you followed a similar path. Just talk about the cohesiveness between those two professions. Yeah, do you make your class watch film like I do? <laughs> I make them. I actually created my own YouTube fitness channel, so yes, I make them watch my film. No, okay, no, nah, so, no, seriously, because I, I do have some high school seniors, and I've gotten to a point where I had some students who are really a fit, like really interested in it, mm-hmm. and so I would take the opportunity. I almost made it like an officiating class, you That's know. Awesome. So I would take like not only a semester, not really a semester, but like a unit. And, you know, we'd watch a game and I help him critique it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I would try to work it into my lesson plan That's so it cool. kind of merges uh-huh. a little bit. Smart. But I would I would say officiating has made me a better teacher because we're constantly looking um, at de-escalation techniques. And with me, I work with, you know, at-risk youth population and, you know, kids who have behavior issues. And you're always looking for a way to diffuse something. And you have a decision in officiating which calls to make that are going to impact the game and which calls are like game control calls. And that's the same thing you take in the classroom. Okay, I can put you out of class, but this really isn't that big of a deal. I'm going to wait until it's something that's really big that's going to make me want to, you know, put you out for what kind of interventions can I have? And you can almost say that plays both ways also with officiating, you know, what's going to warrant a technical foul or unsportsmanlike flag. Can you de-escalate it first? And so I think those are some things that mirror each other when it comes to just dealing with personalities. That's one of the things. 
I also think uh, time management is important, especially with, in the basketball world because you work a game, you can work a game every single day, you know, and you're driving up and down the road and you're getting back to teach in the morning. You have to have your schedule tight, you know, and your travel has to be where it is. Football's a little different. We work one game a week, but we prep during the week, all week for that one game. And so that's the big difference in that, but it's about setting time out throughout the day to make sure that you are, you know, putting time into both professions and you're not cheating one over the other. So I imagine, I know there's a lot of NFL officials, they work full-time jobs during the week. You're going to continue to teach throughout this time as an NFL official? Absolutely. I need two retirements. (laughs) (laughs) So what has this year been like for you? You got um, hired in, in March, I believe, right? Yes. So you have five, six months as a kind of a lead up to your biggest moment. Um, what has this kind of lead up period been for you? What have you been doing with this time to prepare for September? All right. So April, well, all right. So when everything got announced on, I believe, was it March 5th? Yeah. And I was just everywhere. Next thing I know, I get a phone call from some of the veterans who were pretty much like, all right, cool. You're on TV. <laughs> Here are all the rules quizzes that we did last year. You need to start looking at this stuff now. So uh-huh. they kind of just popped my bubble. So they didn't allow me to get big-headed so some veterans reached out to me right away and was like hey you need to work on this work on five questions a day and read your penalty enforcement book and know that from the inside and out so they reached out to me for that april 1st the league office pretty much started my own rookie sessions right now as of now i'm the only person that's hired right now so i get all the one-on-one time with the supervisors and so uh you know once or twice a week we're on a call for about an hour and we just go over the differences between NCAA and NFL, which there are there are a lot, but fortunately, you know, I worked in the XFL and I worked mm-hmm. in the, the AF, and uh, you know, by me being in their development program for seven years, I'm used to most of them, and it's something that I've, I've been familiar with. But there are still some new rules, and there's new rule changes that are coming out this year too, um, that I still have to get used to, and so that's what I'm doing right now at the league office. Then in about two, about a week or so, two weeks, they bring us back full time, all the NFL officials, and then they'll let us know exactly, you know, what crew we're working on, you know, if we're going to mini camps or not, if they're even having a mini camp um, this year because of COVID, you know, what the restrictions are, and we'll we'll find all that stuff out uh, come mid-May. And how has it been for you kind of juggling two rule books? I know basketball officials, you know, find some difficulty when they're working a high school game and then they go work a pro-am game or kind of, you know, not confusing the mechanics and rules from night to night. What's been your experience with that? So that's interesting because now I'm only working out of one rule book. Since I first came in, I've been working out of multiple rule books every year. I think like when I first got into high school, after my first year of high school, they gave me a college rule book. So I'm working out of two. When I get hired into Conference USA, I also started working indoor football in arena. So I had high school, NCAA, and arena football. So I got three rule books. Then that following year, I got brought into the NFL development program. I finally dropped high school, but I now have college, arena, and NFL. So my whole career, I've always been working out of multiple rule books. And I think for me, the common, being able to find a common ground, like within the rule, like, okay, knowing what rules are default across the board is a great place to start. And, you know, with us, it's like understanding what calls are, what calls can be reviewed and not also understanding, you know, your penalties, your five-yard penalties, 10-yard penalties, 15-yard penalties, understanding just the basic rules that are the same. Once you know that those rules are the same, 
then you start looking at the differences so that you don't get caught up. So with me, the biggest difference with the NFL is a lot of times penalty enforcement after a change of possession and timing rules are different. And so just being able to focus on that now and say, okay, I knew I was weak at this. I need to pay extra attention to this. Anything else I can divert back to what I've naturally known in college for the most part, not trying to say that's always going to get you off the hook. But for the most part, that's where you can revert back to. And then hopefully somebody will reel me back in and say, okay, that's not what we're doing. You know, that's the purpose of a crew, you know, is to kind of help me out with those differences. And it's the same thing with dealing with like basketball. I was doing the same thing, had high school, pro-am, women's college. And I think I learned this from, um, from talking like with Al Batista. He breaks it down and you have to learn everything. You know, I was on a, a bunch of basketball Zoom calls, you know, during the covid And they broke down the rules. They talked about rules for college, FIBA, and pro all on that call. And that was just helpful to be able to just listen to what everybody else was doing and just understanding, okay, well, that's a difference. Now you just write down that difference. So if it comes across again, Uh, what you can also do, like as a basketball official, when you're watching film, like if you're a, a high school or a college referee and you're trying to get into the pro system, When you watch your own film, look at your positioning on the play and find out, is that positioning appropriate for all three levels that you're working, right? If you have, I think the biggest, a lot of the big difference in basketball is what are you doing with technical fouls and ball placement afterwards and shooting free throws. So understand all because you're working it on that college level. Okay. If you had to go back and be a crew chief in a high school game, what would you do on this play? Now, if you are in grassroots or you're working a G League game, what are you going to do on this play? And so it's just all about not turning the switch off, always having it on and always being able to process. Definitely not an easy thing, jumping from level to level. No, it's not. <laughs> so, but that, that's what separates the pros, right? That's true. Talent always rises. Mm-hmm. Yo, Maya, you're the first NFL or the first football official that we've had on the podcast. So shout out to you. Definitely not going to be the last because I think this is inspiring a really good conversation because basketball officials can learn from any officials, any kind of seasoned official to have up here to share their knowledge. You know, we're going to you, you can apply it to your own situation. So thank you for that. Um, it's been a pleasure spending time with you today. Is there anything else you want to say to the dedicated audience of officials that are listening? No, I just, I just want everybody to just enjoy, you know, enjoy the ride, you know, because there could be a time where it's all over, like the next day. It might be a time where, you know, like, I think it really hit us during COVID, like we were having a season and all of a sudden everything was taken away. And, you know, people who are dedicated officials couldn't wait to get back out on the court or get back on the field. And you never know, you know, life is very short, you know, things happen with a change of supervisors or whatever, and you may be out of a job at a specific level. So just don't take any of these moments for granted, you know, and just be careful with the way that you treat people, you know, as you rise to the top, you know, everyone's still important. You know, everyone from the smallest level that you interact with all the way up to the top, that's important. You know, how do you want to be known as an official in this world? How do you want to be known as a professional? And I want to give a big shout out to you and um, the rest of your Virginia chapter. I know you mentioned you had listened to the Crown Rose podcast. So thanks for that. Yeah, man, they're always talking about you like in our in our uh, our high school chapter is cool. I appreciate that. And just know you're going to have a lot more um, basketball officials rooting for you in your corner when you take the field this fall. So we wish you the absolute best of luck and thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you.
That was amazing, by the way. You're awesome, by the way. Can I... <laughs> <laughs> and you, know, you, you know what I actually forgot? I forgot. I could have, because I'm looking at it right now. I said, dang, I thought I finished this. I could actually tell you a story about um, when uh, I went to training camp and they thought I was like a stripper, like trying to sneak into the hotel room. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, if you got time, I'm down. So, yeah, I'm gonna t- let me tell you for a quick. This is funny. So, you know, like they didn't really have. You know, like I, I say back in the day, like it was like 1920 or something when it was really just like 2015. Like it's crazy right. like how it? different the world is. Yeah. But there weren't, there really weren't any women like at the time, like in the league. And so for me, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to name a team, but for when we get sent to training camp in the NFL, we stay in the same facility as a team does. So we're there like the whole week. And we go to practice with the team. We watch film with the team. You eat in the cafeteria with the team. So you're pretty much a part of the team. And so when I went to training camp, I was like the only woman like in the whole building. First of all, you know, I was looking like Beyonce. To <laughs> Who have just been in camp, you know, they have not seen their wives and girlfriends. They've been away. So it's like, no matter how busted I am, I'm Beyonce. So when I first check into the hotel, I go up on the floor and I think they... I don't know if they meant to do this or, or if it was an accident, but they put me on the same floor as they would put players. And so as I'm getting off the hotel, you know, getting off the elevator, I have my bag in my hand, my roller bag, and I'm rolling it. And I get stopped by these two big security guys. And they're, they're saying, excuse me, are you with the so-and-so team? I said, uh, no, but I'm with the NFL. And he looks me up and down. He goes, well, where are your credentials? I said, I haven't received them yet, sir. I'm just checking in to the hotel right now and he goes well what do you have in your well, what do you do with the, the nfl i said well i'm an official and he looks at me like you're lying like there's no way you're an official there aren't any women here and so i had to go on my bag and actually pull out like my striped shirt and show him that i'm really a referee and he goes i'm sorry he goes you know just so many things happen you know these guys sneak girls up here all the time he goes you know i thought you were somebody's girlfriend or like a dancer that was coming in because it was at a, at a weird hour of the night it wasn't like first thing in the morning it was something like 10 30 11 o'clock at night it was late and so i go and i said all right no problem i go and i go to sleep wake up the next morning i guess evidently they didn't pass the memo that there's a woman in the house and so again i go downstairs i get breakfast and i go back upstairs again i still don't have my credentials because we haven't been to camp yet and i get stopped again by security and they're like excuse me ma'am you can't go up here i said this is my room key he goes, they're players only on this floor. I said, no, I promise you, I'm working in the National Football League as a referee. You don't have credentials. I said, yes, sir, we haven't gotten them yet. I had to have him walk me all the way to my room and just to just prove that I actually belong there. So it was, it was funny. You know, you, you appreciate the security that they do. And then, you know, you look at the stories that what these players <laughs> do, like in their off time, you know, things that happen in the bubble and all those weird stories. You, you totally get it, you know, but... I guess I was flattered too that I thought I was like a dancer or like a model or somebody going in there. So that was pretty cool. You know I'm gonna put Beyonce music in the background. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. questions for you Maya on your interview with the Today Show you talked about being decisive and being okay with making mistakes because we're all going to make mistakes it's part of the business most important thing is not the mistake but how you recover from it I'd love to hear you talk more about what's been most helpful for you and sort of what your process is like well as officials we're always going to make mistakes you know we're human and there's going to be a human error aspect that goes into calling a game and I think the 
the best advice I could probably give is just to work each play for what it is, no matter what sport it is, you know, football or basketball. You may you may blow a call one play, but you have to get over it quick because that's one play out of 200 that will happen in the game. You know, you're going to have an error. There are going to be calls that you miss. There are going to be calls that you get incorrect. And I think the main thing is to not allow somebody to influence you. Don't let coaches or players get under your skin. Continue to officiate the game the way that you know that it should be officiated. Uh, expect mistakes to happen. And when those mistakes happen, welcome them. And when you get feedback from like an observer or another crewmate or a veteran official, and when they're trying to help you out throughout those mistakes, sometimes you just have to pause and you have to listen to what that person is saying. And it's okay to be wrong, you know. Uh, But what is not acceptable is when you don't take accountability for your mistakes. So if you make a mistake, own up to it, move on. I think one of the greatest mistakes that officials make is not taking accountability for their own mistake or placing the blame or trying to justify what they did was correct when it was obviously incorrect. So just live up to it, own it, and move on to the next thing. Maya, before we go, we have a lot of refs in this community who just really love officiating, whether basketball, football, or any sport for that matter. You've been a ref for 15 years. What are some of the things you love most about it? What do I love most about officiating? I would say I enjoy the experience of working with people of all walks of life. Athletics and officiating especially has a knack for bringing people together from all different backgrounds, no matter the race, gender, cultural backgrounds, whatever it is, we all come together for a common goal of upholding the integrity of a game. And by us being, you know, guardians of a game and we protect the we protect the game that so many people love, you know, with football and basketball alike. We just want to have an enjoyable experience. And it's just a great time for people to put, you know, their personal differences aside, you know, for the greater cause. And that's just to work a solid game out there and to walk off the court or the field being respected. That's one of the things that I love about officiating. Uh, The other thing I love about it is just the challenge that it brings with how much work that you have to put in in order to be a respected guardian of the game. It's the process and the grind that you have to put in. And me, particularly with football, that was a sport that I didn't play. And so it was a challenge for me to actually sit down and learn all the rules and learn the formations and learn the different lingo, just really learning an entire culture uh, of that sport. And I just embrace all challenges. And so I think that was the thing I loved the most about it. And now that I think I've not necessarily mastered it, but I have a real good, a great understanding of football. Now I'm able to teach it and give back and I can see other officials grow as well. Welcome back to the Crab Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Tisner. Yeah, it's rough, 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 rough. So today, this is it about Maya Shaka. It's Maya Shaka. Don't forget to subscribe. Bye bye. We'll see you next time on the Surf Game. Thanks for listening. Too many officials are excited to call an N1 foul. They've told me. They say, "Oh, I love that call. I get all animated and." like it feels good but we shouldn't be happy when the other team scores it's look you're looking like you're celebrating that they scored it's like 
Yeah, score it. Should be subtle. Just another call. Ball goes in, foul, score the goal. And the score shouldn't happen at the same time as the ball goes in the hole. I like to let it breathe. Foul, ball goes in, his basket's good, now we're scoring at home. Just so it's not, boom! It's a little, you know, one, two, three, all in once. I like to just let everything breathe, step by step. Foul, basket, score it. There's a there's a cadence to everything. Let me see your score, Sydney. Yeah, I'm about to something he kept saying get that sh out of here and I kind of looked at him like and I nodded my head I'm like don't say that and I warned him a couple times and I even told the coach coach can you tell your player to you know stop doing this and he's like yeah I got you and it continued again and so I finally gave him the technical and then I told the coach you know what the technical was and he's like why do you give him a technical on that that's you know that's a basketball play. That's how kids play nowadays. And he's like, you're the first official to this season to do something like that. Trying to make you feel bad? I, I don't know what he was trying to do. And I'm just like, okay. I was like, I warned him and I told you to, you know, keep it in check. And he didn't do it. And that's why I gave him a tentacle. You know, I've had some experience coaching. Um, and yeah, I don't say anything to the refs, but if I was like an intense high school coach and I had a female on my game, I wouldn't say anything to her. I would just feel like a jerk. I don't know. Is that just me? Is that just me? Yeah, you're a gentleman. You're a gentleman. Yeah. There's, there's something about being an old man and Carmel, he's probably twice your age. He could probably be your father. Uh, Al Batista told me a great tip again, pulling from different people. Watch clips. Watch like 10 clips in a row of plays you got right before a game. Wonders. Wonders. Because you're going to go out there. You might kick the first block charge of the game. Here we go. Right? But if you watch 10 clips before the game of stuff that you got right, mechanics that you did correct, clocks that you fixed, mm. communication that you handled well with the coach, all these just little nuggets right before the game, I'm telling you the amount of confidence that it fills you with because it's only – it's you right? You're not trying to emulate another official. You're emulating yourself. And you can show yourself that you've done it correctly before and you can do it correctly again. And if that's what helps you clear your mind, if that's what helps you combat your fear, excellent. How you went over to the coach. First time you talk to a player and warn him, let's try to get to the coach as a courtesy. This is very key here, guys. When we go to the coach as a courtesy, we are not going there so the coach can bring up a new topic to complain about. That's what happens a lot of the times when we go as a courtesy. I'm not going to go up there as a courtesy if I know you're going to flip the conversation around. But if you try doing that, I'm going to make sure we get back to the reason why I came. No, 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 coach, coach. I'm not here to listen to you about any other plays. I came here as a courtesy to let you know that you need to speak to your player or I'm going to have to handle him. Is that fair? Thank you. I'm going to get back to the game now. You know, like then maybe if he's nice and he will, hey, can you watch for this? Then we can, you know, allow that conversation. But you guys know, know what I'm talking about when we try to go talk to a coach about something and they reverse it. And now we're taking com new complaints. And now the conversation has left us there. It's in their hands now. Yeah, a thousand percent. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. Absolutely. That's where we need that internal strength. 
to not allow them to change the dialogue. We're in control of the dialogue. If we want, if we're not, they got it. They're going to take it and we're going to be playing, playing defense. You know, like what well, coach, I came over here as a courtesy. Like I'm doing you a favor type stuff. It always cracks me up how many terms we have for the tech. Oh, I spanked them. I smacked them. I bit them. Oh, no. You know, it's like. I whacked them. I, I whacked them. them. And, they, and you wonder why they think, you know, we take joy in it. Well, because we take joy in it. Because I whacked them. I really whacked them last night. Well, come on. You know, they have yeah. a lot of stresses. They have a lot of pressure. They have, you know, and I know we do too. But we put these stripes on or whatever our uniform is going to look like. You have to understand our role is a little different. And I've had this talk with many people throughout the years. You know, it's like, guess what? We're the officials and our, the expectations of what our job is. is perhaps a little different than what a coach, you know, the coach can say this. We can't say that we get fired. Yeah, you're right. Accept it. Yes. You know? <laughs> accepted that's part of the job so but you know i enjoy those high intensity coaches i mean they want to win they they're they're fighting for their players figure it out what can you do what's in your toolbox to deal with them your keystone to a great relationship is communication so whether you have a really over-the-top coach or a not so over-the-top coach I still think your most successful officials know how to communicate, know how to diffuse, know how to listen, know when to stop. And, you know, and those overly aggressive coaches also will respect when you go to nine and you go to 10 and you go, okay, that's enough. Now you have a technical foul. The people who do not assess technical fouls in the proper time will not garner that respect. Right. I mean, they think, well, I'll be friends. You're not going to be friends with coaches. Trust me. Never. Never. I've read coaches' reviews for 15 years as a supervisor in the WNBA. They're not your friends. I'm going to tell you that right now. And that's not anything against coaches. Is you know, It's just the nature of the job. We are in a position that they don't always enjoy us. Okay? It's good. You know, that's fine. We, we understand what the role is. But they will respect you when you assess the appropriate technical foul, when you communicate effectively with them and try to diffuse them appropriately too. So when you know you are going into a game with a coach who has a reputation, whatever that is, for being a little more aggressive, to being a little more intense, to taking the jacket off and throwing it, to do whatever the case may be, Double down, listen even harder, figure out, figure out how do I communicate effectively with this person? And if that doesn't work, then you assess the appropriate technical foul. But through my career, what is what served me well is that I will communicate. I don't let my ego get in the way. Again, we're back to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whether it's with high intensity players, I mean, I, th- I think most of us officials are former players or former athletes or whatever, and we're competitive too. Understand the competitive fire. Use some empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, don't forget to be a bit empathic on that floor. It will serve you well. 
So with a high intensity coach, why are they getting upset? And did you, I mean, I know in a game, I'm working a game and we just kicked the fire out of a call. I'm spinning already and go, I know, I know. We will deal with it. I got it. You know, I'm sorry. What, you know, try to get ahead of it. Anticipate it. And don't defend, you know, an awful call. You lose respect. Right. And if they're just, and some sometimes coaches just, you know, lose their minds. Deal with it effectively. Assess the first technical. If they don't, you know, get out of there, whatever the case may be, as you're walking away and they're running into the middle of the floor, assess the second one. That we, you know, we need to be focused on our craft, but it can't consume you. And that was the mistake I made. You know, I let it consume me in my younger self. And when I did get fired by the NBA, it almost, it almost like took me down because it became, it really did become who I was, not what I did. You know? And, and, it, and that's part of the, the mistake that I made. It became who I was. And, and now it is what I do. And I love doing what I do, but it's not who I am. Love to hear a little bit more about that experience. So you were NBA official 1997. You were simultaneously the WNBA coordinator of officials? I was. That was Daryl Garrison's idea. Gotcha. <laughs> It's interesting, um, just because obviously now all the coordinators are have moved on and retired. So you're like a little bit of a player coach back then, like Bill Russell of refs. Um, well, Daryl was Daryl was the supervisor of the NBA and also refereed in the NBA uh, at one time. So, yeah. but just just looking at your your career resume, that that it just you know it, it stuck out like wow, this doesn't seem like it fits. She was fired from the NBA. You don't have to, but do you care to discuss anything from that? Any value that we can extract from that? I mean, I th again, I think the biggest value is that you're, you're going to have setbacks. How do you deal with them? Well, how do you deal with them? Whether you get uh, fired by the NBA or you get fired out of, you know, or you, get, you don't get renewed contract in the Big East. How are you going to deal with it? Because we're all going to have to deal with something like that in your career. You know, you may not, it may not make ESPN like mine did or international newspapers like mine did, but in your world, it does. You know, just because mine got more playtime on ESPN, to you, it's just as important. How are you going to deal with it when the, when the Big East doesn't pick you up the next season? Do you go forward positively? Or do you just, you know, take, that, take a negative attitude towards that and say it's somebody else's fault? It's, what else can you do how do you learn from it? You know, it's not an easy thing to go through, but it is something that I think all of us are going to go through it and on, on whatever level it may be. And you've got to make a decision. How are you going to navigate those waters? What are you going to learn? And how do you come out on the other side? And I really believe because of that event in my life, I came out a better person. I learned a lot. I came out a better person and I'm still blessed to be able to referee a game I love. Mm -hmm. So it all worked out okay. You know? And then I was given the opportunity to also supervise the WNBA and learned more that way. I mean, you learn a lot as an administrator. Yeah. You learn a whole lot. You, you learn what coaches really do think of us. <laughs> you learn, you know, and, you know, being able to work with a lot of different officials through the years and whatnot, it's just, 
I just enjoy learning from others, be it a first year official or a 30 year official. So, but like I said, everyone's going to have those type of events that they're going to have to figure out. How am I going to deal with this? Can I turn, you know, the lemons into lemonade to be cliche-ish? Can you do it? Not easy, but you can. How do you approach when coaches question the foul count? D, the fouls are 8-1. <laughs> I know that's one of those traditional get under your skin and I'm no different. It's, uh, it's quite funny because through the years, I think a number of coaches actually do understand that is an official's irritant. And I won't name the coach, but the coach one time said to me, Dee, I know you hate this. I said, oh my gosh, you're going to tell me the foul count, aren't you? <laughs> and they went, yeah, we are. I said, I'm fully aware of it. I'm fully aware of it. I got you. And, you know, and I just had it this season in, in one of the regional games. I, I don't remember which game it was, but first quarter, foul count was five to nothing. And the next quarter, the foul count was five to nothing the other way. And now the coach who had five to nothing in their favor, the first quarter who said nothing, now says something to me in the second quarter. Gee, the fouls are five to nothing. I said, gosh, I didn't hear from you the first quarter. <laughs> now, again, I'm not advocating for a first-year official to say that. That could be perceived. That would be the call to June that night going, my sarcasm didn't work. I, being a 35-year official, might get away with it a little bit more. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear the sarcasm. I hear the sarcasm in it. Um, the way you said it, though, I think it's a great line, though. I didn't, oh, it I didn't is. And it was very, and it very effective. But you have to be careful how you say it and to whom you say it and can you say it and all those things. But, yeah, that. I, I do quell that one. When they say the foul counts eight to one, I said, I am fully aware and please do not bring that up because it does question our integrity, our integrity. I will address that one because it does. It's, it's, a, it's really an irritating comment. Championship assignment. So bringing out the crown ref's gear to get that extra 10% to my call accuracy. Let's go. You know, the, the idea of public speaking really, really starts with knowledge. You know, you can't talk about anything in any format, whether you're sitting in an interview, whether you're pitching to a producer, when I did work in television, um, when you're in the classroom uh, as a teacher that I do now, that I, that I, uh, that role I feel now, um, you know, it starts with the rule book. You know, I hadn't really thought about how much that really makes a difference in how you communicate um, with coaches. Um, I actually was doing some games last night with a guy who was brand new. It was his fourth game, maybe. And I wanted to give him some instructions about, like, kind of some of the communication points. But I realized he wasn't even there yet. You know, it's it's kind of the one of the more, um, I, I th really think, the finishing touches of first learning the rules and knowing how to blow the whistle. Then you learn how to talk about the game uh, when you're with coaches. So in my classroom, when I teach public speaking, you know, we start with the foundation. And, and I was thinking thinking about what that really means. And it's, it's kind of like three things. It starts with knowledge, your understanding of your topic. So in our sense, the game, how you officiate um, the kind of rhythm of the game you try to create 
um, the consistency you try to create so that when a coach does ask you a question, you're able to communicate effectively why you either passed on a call or why one call is actually different um, than another one. Because you know what we hear from from uh, coaches all the time. Well, calling on both ends. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens on one end isn't necessarily the same as what's happening on the other. So, you know, we have to be able to explain some of those differences. So, in, you know, in the classroom, it's it's uh, it's foundational. It's knowledge first. Secondly, it's it's language, the right type of language that we use to communicate. Uh, if it's a coach that you've worked with and, and knows you and trusts you, you're going to be able to speak a little bit differently than that brand new coach who's get little, maybe a little hot in the head or just gets excited easily. And you're going to have to 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 articulate a little bit differently. And and third, believe it or not, it's appearance. You know, part of public speaking and, and presenting, it's, it, you know, my class is called presentational speaking. Hmm. How you present yourself uh, goes a long way. Um, in looking professional, acting in a professional manner, uh, being in shape. All of those things uh, apply, those elements apply to how we present ourselves on the court, which give us, um, you know, a lot more credibility than what's the alternative. You're not running well, you're overweight, um, all those things that can, you know, not necessarily that, you know, being a little bit overweight is is bad if if you can run well you're fine you know but it's all of those things come together um you know and that's part of what i what i teach my students let's transition to um you know your communication style when you were a an official and what you teach your referees now as far as you know communication game management and running the game i think the first point to start with is that um Use your your own style and personality. Don't try and be something else. I think the moment you try to do something or maybe emulate someone else in the way they do things, it's just not, you know, when it's not natural, I think it then drives other unnatural behaviours as well in terms of how you communicate. You know, so for me, you know, I was, um, when I was on the floor, I was, um, I wasn't a big talker, um, but my communication was, always um direct and it was always uh providing information but it was always casual as well you know i I was very rarely was i ever ever flustered or upset by stuff because i understood the context was players and coaches are just trying to win okay sure they're yelling at me right now but they could be yelling at you paul if you happen to be on the floor so it doesn't really matter you know that they're yelling at me because they're yelling at the official so I, I always tried to make sure that, that one, um, my communication style was, was casual and, and easygoing where, where it needed to be. Um, if a player or coach was, was yelling at me, um, sometimes it's good to let the player or coach let off steam. Yeah, but as we all know, there's a limit to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a limit to that type of behaviour. But a, a, a tactic that, that I think works really well is that when a, when, when a player or coach is arguing or upset about a play and they're hot, if they spike with their emotion but come straight back down, that's a, that's a good sign that you can now communicate. Okay. If, they, if they spike with their behaviour and stay up there and they're redlining, your response is now different. Right. But if, you, so if you're encouraging players to, to have that emotion and come straight back down, you get to the communication piece a little, a little bit sooner. So some of the stuff that I'm often trying to trying to do on the floor, and I encourage 
my guys to do is that you know you're asking questions of the player to get an understanding of what's actually happening you know, and when you're listening to to the player or coach talk listen for understanding don't listen to reply you know again that's another maxim that you know many people use and it's really true when you're listening to reply you're often missing missing the message that's that's being given to you if you listen to understand you're better able to work your way through those the edges and, and understand how I need to respond. So I would encourage everyone to to think about getting from the general to the to the specific very very quickly. Um, anyone with a law background or policy background would understand why. When you look at um, any sort of official documents, policy documents, they often start off very general and then work their way down into be to be very specific. So that's where that principle comes mm. from. Um, make sure you ask questions. Make sure you you get the player or coach to ask you a question so you understand what the issue is. Um, in hot games, when the game's in motion you know, and there's already play happening on the floor, I would be just telling the player and coach, I'm working right now. Uh, I'll get back to you when the time's right. Love it. But make sure you get back to them. Because if you don't, you're going to lose credibility. Um, my coach is here... Uh, their one of their biggest their biggest issues with 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 the officials is that they're happy with the communication that generally goes on. They're 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 unhappy when the referee says I'll get back to you, but never come never comes back. Uh, you know, I, I know I could clearly tell me and you are on the same page because you're you're talking about your your general and specific philosophy. I have something. Um, pretty similar that I talk to officials about on how to better manage the coach. It's like a lot of what coaches say to us is very general. It's very, it's not specific. It's, Hey, Paul, you know, you got to watch number 54. He's hitting, he's hitting my guy with his left arm. When he goes to the right, every, he's not going to give you some specifics. He's going to say, we're getting hit. You got to call the same thing on the other end. So when they go generic, that's when we go specific. Oh, coach, do you have a specific play that you're referring to? What are you yes. seeing out there? And, and just like you said, the, the use of questions is a very effective tool because you're almost buying time. You're showing that you're a good listener and then you're putting the ball back in their court and forcing them to respond under your framework. Yeah, 100%. I, I think all of that's correct. And that's good advice for any official at any, any level. You mentioned something in the notes that stood out. Uh, what makes referees elite? What are some of the differentiators and deciding factors that separate the good official from the great official? Um, you know, I think the cool thing about refereeing is that there's multiple ways uh, at being successful. I mean, you think about Danny Crawford and Joey Crawford, maybe polar opposite referees in terms of what they did and what they were good at. And both became crew chiefs in game seven of the finals. So, you know, there's no, there's no one way to necessarily do this. We have aggressive referees. We have lesser aggressive, but we have really good communicators. We have really good play callers. I think there's definitely different ways to be successful. Um, you know, I think the one maybe common trait of the, of the top, like the really elite people is this burning desire to want to be elite and to be good. And this, this mindset of constantly trying to get better. And so that's sort of all the off the floor stuff, you know, how do you take care of your body, the rules work that you do, the video work you do, the preparation you do, and the honest self-evaluation that you have to have to try to get there. And 
that may be maybe the most important part of this whole thing is how much time and effort and competitive edge do you sort of kind of put into getting better and being intentional in the work that you do to try to get there because there's a lot of talented referees but talent doesn't always you know equate to skill and success you know especially if people don't put the work into it but that to me would be sort of the off the card stuff but then you kind of get into all this you can be elite in different areas I mean we have elite play callers where they just seem to always make the right decision probably because mentally they're thinking their way through and they got really good eyes and they sequence to the right defender and they're going from defender to defender they don't get stuck on the offensive player and if they're off ball and they're in their secondary they get to defenders early which normally leads to success you know the longer we see a play the better and but you also if you have good patience and you can see the play all the way to the finish like those are all traits of elite play callers and you have um people mechanically they're always in the right spot you know they they're getting to positions early uh they make it look so easy they always have open angles and they maintain them like those are things that elite people from mechanical standpoint do they um you have elite communicators they just have this ability to you know, some of it may be some witty and they're quick on their feet, but they have a way to constantly diffuse and they have the answers. And when somebody asks you a question, you're able to answer it and they're able to understand it and accept it. Maybe they could disagree with it, but they, they just have this trait. And so you can be ref, you can be elite in all these other things uh, and you can be successful. Um, I think it really kind of comes down to, do you evaluate like, all right, I'm good at this. How do I get better? And I'm not good at this. What would it take me? And what it what does it look like to be good at this? And it's sort of a grind, you know, and you, you put a lot of effort in that and time. Um, and you probably have some people around you that can be honest um, in your inner circle. Um, but I, it's, it is, it is fascinating. And you try to learn from other people and to figure out what makes them successful and um it's just part of this journey you know really it's being you know being a referee one of the topics we've never really talked about on the crown refs podcast before is money um i think this could be a good opportunity for you to provide us some value on what you've learned about financial matters and how to manage your money smartly and efficiently yeah you know um i think this is a a topic people people shouldn't be afraid of um i i know that that these life skills aren't aren't always taught, um, you know, as kids are in college or in high school. And, you know, my, my spouse said, you know, she really wished that, that people would have, have told her these things. And she was mad at her parents because, um, she's like, I didn't even know I had to pay taxes. I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. Um, but, but understanding, um, the financial implications when you are a, a a contractor, uh, it's really important. And, you know, you can, have a lot of success in officiating, you know, officials get hired into division one and now they're, they're getting these comma checks and, you know, all this money comes in November through March and, you know, here we go with a, a new iPad and, you know, new car lease and this and that. And, and people were like, Oh wow. You know, I just got hit with my tax bill and, you know, that's a surprise. Like it shouldn't be a surprise and, you know, managing your, your money throughout the 12 months of the year. And, you know, that that's really important. I I got to give a shout out to uh, a friend of mine, my accountant, Ryan Hart. 
up in Port Angeles, Washington. He he pulled me aside very very early in my career, um, before I was even a Division One official, and and he's like, you know, there's some things that uh, that you should probably do now that will be really really smart for you. And, and I'm like, you know, Bill, you you know this stuff better than me. You know, whatever it is, I'll I'll follow your lead. And and he's like, well, you're gonna you're gonna be a corporation, and and we're gonna set this up, and and you know put your basketball money here and you know we'll we'll balance things out with all your expenses and you know I knew very early on I was spending more money on camps than I was making and you know it took me six years to get into the black but um but with that I I took that um that model and that foundation and um you know I I learned to manage my money and you know I paid myself a salary from my basketball income you know the same salary throughout the 12 months I had disability insurance um you know i plan for for you know the what ifs and you know those things are are important to establish early on or you know you you, you start making a significant amount of money in, in basketball and and you know if you're not thinking of your your retirement plan you know that's a problem um you know, you, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you're 50 years old and you're, you're looking at your portfolio and there, there's nothing there. You know, we all want to, to you know, get into the, that uh, lifestyle where we can retire at a, you know, before we're, we're 65 or, or whatever the number is. And, and, you know, if you haven't done that planning and investment early on, you know, you're, you're going to wish that you had. So, you know, looking at uh, working with a, a financial expert and an accountant, I think is what is imperative for, for officials and um, taking advantage of some of the, the policies that are out there. Um, there's some game protection policies that you can, that you can take and um, protect your income if you do have an injury or, you know, I was really concerned for officials last year when you know we had a lot of uncertainty with the start of the season and you know i was really thankful that COVID hit you know the end of february and people had worked you know a large majority of their season um if that would have happened in november i i don't know if, if people would have been able to to pay their mortgages and you know pay take care of their families and so that that's the piece that um that people if you if you haven't um, manage that very well. I, I would suggest you uh, you start talking with somebody and, and take some advice and and you know have a plan and strategy in place. Every time I watch him work, the most patient in the game, he'll sit there for about three or four seconds almost. It feels like, and then oh nope, we're going the other way, and it's, it's the best thing to watch. I go, you know what it is? I've always been very unattracted to. Uh, non-fouls that we that we call offensive initiated contact or incidental contact or marginal whatever you want to call it so you know it's got i comes down to this i have to be a hundred percent every time i throw my whistle and if i'm 99 percent then i'm zero your response can open a lot of doors or it can close those doors Mm -hmm. and you want to be closing the doors instead of opening them yeah and yeah and Paul um yeah and the one thing that you've taught me quickly with this response is basically I would say Paul I don't want my partner explaining my calls so I'm not gonna explain his calls Paul does that sound fair verbatim so I think there's two ways that we can answer this and it depends on how the coach comes at at us if it's more on the respectful side then you can go with just what Will said and it works all the time if you deliver it effectively coach i don't want my partner explaining my call so i'm not going to explain his or 
the reverse coach. I'm not going to explain my partner's call, so I don't want him explaining mine. And when you say, is that fair? I think that that word fair is a great word to use in this context because that's what our job is to uphold the fairness of the game. So when we touch on that point and, and we're coming across as being fair, we're asking that same question to the coach. Is that fair? So you you think you would think they're going to give us an honorable answer there. You would hope. And then the other way, Adam, is if they come at us disrespectfully. Now, again, if it's disrespectful, then we can go with a technical foul because it's it's written in the rule book. But if they come at us maybe a little nasty and you need to play offense, it's whoa, 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 coach, coach. I would never be disrespectful to your assistant coaches. Please have the same respect for my team. Is that fair? You can ask, is that fair? You might, you don't even need that, but you're just adding another layer to it. And, and right. most of the time, they, they wind up backtracking so quickly and say, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because you gave them a real empathetic response. You, you came out of left field. You never, they never thought you were going to talk about their assistant coaches, but in a positive, respectful way. So it provoked empathy from them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Those two approaches, Adam? Yeah. Sure does. Yeah, like the one thing I even think about it, I mean, just saying like, coach, like, would you like coach, would you disrespect any of your teammates? Because I'm not going to disrespect any of mine. We all work together here. Great. Yeah. Please, Donald. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I like to come with uh, coach. I trust his judgment. And I, I'm liking what you're saying, Paul, about asking them a question, always ending it with a question. So I guess I would say at the end of that statement, uh, did you see any legal contact on that? You were mentioned about explanations and coaches requiring an explanation. There's such a difference between asking a question and questioning a call. And I think most coaches question calls in order to go disagree and share their opinions. Very few actually ask the question to fact find and gain knowledge in, in order to then go apply for their team, right? So there's this there's this standoff and we almost feel us as officials like everybody is playing against us or coaches think that they're playing against us as well. There's just something that stuck with me, said to me multiple times in camp this summer. So. That's a good response. One thing I say when they question the timing, I say, um, oh, thank God I'm not on a time limit, you know? This is really hard. Sometimes it takes me an extra second, you know? It takes us an extra second to, uh, and also I, one time I, I, you know, I would rather be late and right than early and wrong. I've said that to players and, and they almost fell down. They were like, yo, that's crazy. Makes perfect sense. You could say that as well. Hey coach, you know, I'd rather be late and right than early and wrong. Over, conversation over. Gonna compliment you or say, yeah, you're right. Or it's gonna laugh or not gonna say anything more offensive. You know, the bout is over. So that's what we wanna give you guys is these knockout responses so we can get back to the game. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. I want to be a great person. I want to be um, great to everybody. I think one of the, the the pillars of strength is being kind to everybody all the time. Mm. Can you can you do that?
And I don't mean you two. I mean like people listening. Do you have the skill set? Do you have the emotional intelligence to do that all the time? And I'm talking about people that are rude to you. Are mm -hmm. you nice to people that are rude to you? Are you respectful to people that are disrespectful to you? That's a hard one. Most people are not equipped for that. You, most people think you get disrespected, you double down and you disrespect them. I, I'm completely opposite. You wanna disrespect me, you're disrespecting yourself. You can go on, I, I'm gonna take that energy, I'm just gonna turn it around and it's gonna just miss me. I'm gonna do like this in the matrix and it's just gonna come back at you. Cause I don't, I don't allow anybody to control my emotions like that. There's no outside force or individual that's gonna take me out of my game. Josh, Josh just got one for you though. Okay. Hey, Josh, how are you? All good. How are you doing, buddy? Well, man. Um, a couple of us are in the pipeline, and I have a question about the balance of philosophy. We're talking about small talk with coaches. First, what is the pipeline, and where is it located? For the NBA. Okay. Got it. So Monty, Monty on Sunday was talking about asking those specific questions. How's the family? How's the kids? Knowing names. Is that more of a... I'm you sorry, could you, could you just take me, uh, what was Monty saying about the, asking the coaching questions? Yeah, like pregame, like how's the family doing? Um, being aware of like different things are going through. And I know you were commenting on small talk. So my question is, where's the balance if, is that more of like a pro mindset thing? Because you have the same 30 teams throughout the season. There's only 75 on staff. As opposed to like high school and having that, knowledge or relationship to kind of bridge some of those gaps what's your thought on balancing that it's a good question really good question and um you just got to know where you're reffing and what level you're doing and this is just all my opinion these are just all my observations and stuff i've crafted along the line or along my career that is that i felt has helped me and and, and has helped other officials you know one thing i i will say is um the nba is a different sport it's a different league and I've noticed their communication and game management strategies are way different um, for some of the reasons that you mentioned. Remember, it's more it's a business. It's one of the world's most entertaining and great games, and there's a lot of money involved. So I feel like that changes a little bit of um, the infrastructure of the game, and it's not the same as high school, you know? So obviously, Monty McCutcheon, is one of the smartest basketball minds in the world. So he's got a lot of amazing things to say and he's well-deserved to be in the position he's in. And everything he said to you could be true. It could work out for you. I just choose to not create small talk like that because I just know I've been burned so many times. We're getting into this little personal conversation. Two minutes later, the guy's screaming at me. I'm like, bro, we were just talking about your family. Now you're screaming at me? That's why that gets totally voided for me because it's just, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how useful it is. Now, off the court, different story. You see the coach after the game, before the game, somewhere else, that's where you can ask about the family. Yeah. That's where it will mean more. But in a professional setting, why are we bringing in personal things? Yeah, I like that. There's, I'm just trying to figure out the balance and delineation between what I mean, you yeah. Josh, how many times have you spoke to a coach and you're, you're speaking nicely before the game? Everything is great. Next thing you know, he's screaming at you. Uh, opening night. <laughs> Every time out, Paul. <laughs> so what's the point? I, I absolutely agree. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I'm not taking a, a 
disrespectful approach. Uh, again, I want to focus back in on being kind. That's one of the pillars of my life. I think you should be kind to everybody. Well, and I think I think you can be kind in giving technical. I'm not always that way, but I think you can be kind in giving discipline as well. Yeah, I just think we need to eliminate the um, personal relationships. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to every once in a while strike a conversation or make a comment or say something funny to a coach. I'm not saying that. You know, you have to use your best judgment in the moment and in that game um, to whatever's going to work for you. But I just think big picture, generally speaking, we, we make this way too personal. And let's talk about why it's personal. Because the coaches rate us. Because the coaches are, imp- are influencing who gets playoff assignments. Me, I'm not interested in none of that. I don't care what game I get at the end of the year. I'm here to run the game correctly and be integral. And I don't need to kiss up to a coach to get the assignment that I want. Um, it's not that important to me. I appreciate you. Now, I'm in the minority. I'm in the minority. Most high school officials, that's a, a main priority for them. Not this group. <laughs> yeah, they're the wrong group, Paul. <laughs> Great. My kind yeah. of group. That's why I'm back. My man. When we, when we talk about tactical communication, what we're trying to go f- go from to – we're trying to go from you versus me language, the confrontational language, to we language. That's what collaboration is, what we're trying to do. How can we work this out? How can we get on the same page? So calm down is saying, I'm right, you're wrong. You're up here, I'm down here. You need to come down to my level. So we replace he, it with a – go ahead, Carmel. I'm sorry. What if he's the coach is, like, at a level, you can't get him to calm down because he's just so furious with – what's going on with the game and sure you use the words tell me what's wrong and he's still yelling at you how can you get him to calm down so i always say uh, a jedi mind trick of, of verbal judo and one of the ways that um and, and I'm, I'm i'm probably guilty or i'm probably one that, that does this is when someone is, is getting loud with you the natural reaction is to raise your voice is to to meet them at their level a little Jedi mind trick is to actually go down in level because people try and match each other. So when you're, when you're in an argument, people tend to yell and scream and who, who can be louder. I think one of the things that you can do to, to bring it to the level is if you're going down, they have to come meet you at that level to be able to have a conversation. I love that. Uh, you know, and, and my, my significant other will, will testify that um, I oftentimes when if she if she yells, I'm going the other direction. <laughs> she said it's infuriating, but does it work? <laughs> yes. Uh, so you know that's that's something that that I think is is uh, an effective way. To, I, I like tell me what's wrong. Can can you work with me and explain to me what the problem is in in, in a lower tone so that we can we can get this going? It's hard it's hard to respond when when we're screaming and yelling. But remember. We are responding to meaning, not reacting to words. Responding to meaning. So while that screaming and yelling is going on, if they're screaming and yelling and you can't get control, you should at least be trying to decode what the problem is and be ready to paraphrase back to the person, hey, so what you're saying is, what you're saying the problem is, is X, Y, and Z. You feel like the calls aren't going both ways. Is that right? So you're always trying to go, even if it's adversarial, even if it's confrontational, you're trying to go 
from you versus me to we. You're trying to see it through the other person's eyes. Use that empathy and show that you are trying to understand them. So if you're getting that screaming and yelling and can't get control, you should be ready with, Paul's done it a couple of times, with the, the, um, the what we call the sort of interruption. It, it's instead of interrupting to, to take control back of a conversation and then you saying your point, we, we use uh, what, what it's, it's not our term, paraphrasing, to say, whoa, 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 I just want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. What you're saying is you feel that the calls are not going both ways, that the other team's getting all the calls, that, that we're, we're only going one way on this. Is that, is that right? Is that what you are, what, what the problem is here? And what you've done is you've foot swept the, the speaker into a listener because no one is going to listen harder to their own than to their own point of view to make sure that you understand what the problem is. So instead of you jumping in and saying, okay, it's my turn to talk now, I'm going to talk. Your job is to say, whoa, 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 hold on. I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you are saying. Now they're, they're all ears because I, I want to make sure this ref has heard. If you're, if you're having a hard time grabbing that conversation back, that's a, a really effective way to get in, to get control of a conversation, but do it professionally, do it tactically, because now they're ready to listen. Make sure, hey, are they actually listening to me? This is why listening is so important. You actually have to hear what they're saying. I just want to hit this this big picture point real quick with, with the group real quick, guys. And it's, you know, when we give our response to the coach, and this is one thing I stopped doing, I don't try to convince anybody that I'm right. I simply provide an explanation. If they don't like it, then I, that's fine. I can't control that. My intent was good. I tried to give him the best explanation and response as possible. You guys, I want you to be confident in your intent. I was thinking about that today. One of the things that make me confident is I know my intent. I know my intent is good. That gives me confidence. When your intent is not good, you're not confident about it. So be prideful in a sense um, with what your intent is. And if it's good, you have nothing to worry about. So don't try to convince the coach you're right. Don't get upset when they disagree with you. They're going to disagree with you at some time, so be prepared for that. And also be prepared and be comfortable disappointing them. Because they're, like RJ said, it's an emotional roller coaster. They're going to be happy. They're going to be hyped. They're going to be disappointed. They're going to be fired up. They're going to be calm. They're going to be hyped again. And then just follow that circle. So a couple big picture points. To the coaches on the coaches front, they definitely um, will say some things that they won't necessarily mean. So that's why I think being even keel as an official is important, and not you know not taking yeah. things personal, um, you know during the game. Thanks for bringing that stat. You know that's some good insight too. And we're talking about empathy tonight, so that would be some good information to have in our back pocket to help inspire our empathy before we go communicate with this coach like hey he's got a really stressful job you know it's on a he's on an emotional roller coaster tonight you know sometimes we have to speak to these coaches like they're children straight <laughs> up because they act like children listen emotion steals our intelligence when we're acting under emotion it steals our intelligence it basically brings us down to the childlike level so yeah, our communication with a coach maybe should sound like that if if that's what you think is right for that moment. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, we're, we're humans. I, I think mental health is a real thing too. Like we, we don't know what people are going through. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, yeah, for, for sure. I think adding that element is, is definitely key. Today, we are talking about the 21-22 NFHS high school points of emphasis. Let's not waste any time. Let's go ahead and jump in. What are the points of emphasis this season? We have five. One, officiating mechanics and signals. Two, timeout administration. Three, unsporting conduct. Four, screening. And five, euro steps, spin moves, and jump stops. Legal or illegal? Let's first start with number one, mechanics and signals. The NFHS Basketball Rules Committee expects officials to adhere to the approved mechanics and signals. I'm not going to read the rest of this here, and I'm not going to do a deep dive today on our mechanics and signals, but the one thing that we do need to know this season is that the punch, or team control foul, has been eliminated. It is no more. Instead, we're going to go back to the old behind-the-head player control foul. That's going to be used for both player control, and a team control foul. This time you have an illegal screen, got the foul, behind the head, point. I was offered a contract in the WNBA. Um, I almost quit refereeing at 38. Um, I had to figure out... Let's let's stop right there. Why'd you almost quit at 38? Uh, I went to a camp. I was uh, was doing really well. In my career, I was working at Embry-Riddle. Uh, I could have worked hard on my career path and gone on and been a director. And I actually turned down a couple of jobs because my refereeing and it, it wasn't going to balance out the way I want. I had a great job at Embry Riddle. I had great people. I, I mean, I, you, you don't, you don't have any success in life without a group of people around you that help nurture you and support you. And I certainly was no exception. Um, but um I had, um, I had gone to, I, I, I had gotten into division one. Let me go back. It was 35, not 38, 35. I, I had moved up. I was in division two. I was doing well. I went to a camp. The way they did this particular camp, you knew by the way you were assigned on your last day as to kind of how you did. And I finished number one. I was the crew chief. I was throwing it up. And, uh, I mean, that was everyone's understanding. Uh, and I didn't get hired. And it devastated me. It, it just really. And so I try to teach people, you know, you have to be in a good place and, and manage all of these things. And you can't, you can't let this identity of this officiating take over your life. But at that moment, I was really down, really, really down for about, 72 hours. I can remember I came to work at Embry Riddle. I was worthless. I was, I, I had three days. I was worthless. And I really seriously thought about quitting. And, um, I said, well, you know, I'll quit and I'll, I'll go back and I'll just, maybe I'll just do high school and, um, but, and I'll focus on my career. But thankfully, I was able to get through it. And I always talk about these raw emotions. And I went through the gamut of hurt, disappointment, anger. And then I got to a good spot. 
And I said, I'll show you. I got to that good spot. You got to get to that, but you got to go through the, you got to go through the emotions. So I got there and fortunately, and then I went out and hired a personal trainer. I, I tried to take steps that I go, what can I do? So I, 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 I got in the gym. I started working out. I got myself in really good shape, kept working. Um, you can't get bitter. You got to get better. You can't get bitter. You got to get better. So fortunately for me, that's what happened. And I'm thank God that, that I did. So, um, but anyway, did, Paul, that okay. Answer that question. Let's, let's take it a step further. So that was, you were on the brink of D, D2 to D1. What about that next summer? Did you wind up getting hired? How long did it take? I, I did. I did. I went and uh, I still remember the call uh, from John Guthrie and um, he put me in, uh, I got in two division ones and then three year later, three, and, and I was, I was moving every year. I was doing, you know, I wasn't like this. I was like this. And so uh, three years later, I got in the SEC and then shortly thereafter, you know, Dale Kelly and his Dale Kelly had the first big consortium back then got in that. And uh, from there, it just kind of, you know, snowballed and turned out pretty good. Um, but it was hard. You had to put in some hard work and um, and it's hard today. I mean, the quality of officials today um the volume of good uh, good officials today is just overwhelming. Let's go how you started. What would you say? I said I had a very good look at it. It was directly in my line of sight. And I felt that I had the right to call it because of my point of view. All right. I, I, I wouldn't say right to call it, but I liked, you, you know, directly in my line of sight. Um. Again, I don't want you guys to over explain your calls or feel like a coach is putting you on the stand. We're not on trial. So don't think like lawyers. Don't think like we have to convince them that we got it right. I think if you guys take that, that trait, you'll feel a lot more at ease out there and a lot less stressed when these coaches try to press you or, you know, ask you questions. You, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend your calls. You're providing an explanation. So, Coach, yes, I felt I had a great look at that, and I saw illegal contact on that play. Tell me, what did you see? So, you know, we've been talking about asking the questions back to the coach, and that's that's always an option for us, especially when you don't know what to say, especially, you know, some of the younger officials that are still, you know, we're all we're all still learning. We're all trying to um, improve our every aspect of the game, but maybe ha haven't had as much experience in these situations. Um, you can always ask a question because then that reframes everything under our framework, and it puts the coach having to ask a question under our terms versus the other way around. Sense. We talk about running the game so much um, and the different ways we can insert ourselves as leaders and crew chiefs. And I'm trying to take a tough stance with the officials in this group because I want to help produce a tough minded official who is courteous and respectful, but doesn't allow any nonsense to creep into the game and has the inner confidence to hold the participants of the game accountable. And I think we really connected last week on our phone call. We agreed that officials have kind of historically allowed coaches to get away with too much stuff. So what would you like to tell the officials listening about being courageous and running the game? 
Well, I think the first thing, Paul, is that, you know, you can't take the path of least resistance. And um, particularly with coaches, but players as well, we have a saying in, in the league called, and we call it, we just say, what you permit, you promote. So if you allow something to occur, if you allow a coach to keep stomping his feet and running up and down the sideline, dropping clipboards, as long as you're permitting that, you're telling him, that's okay to do. You know, you're, you're fine. Just keep, you know, I'm obviously not going to do anything. So uh, you can keep doing what you're doing. So, you know, like I said, what you permit, you promote. I think what can help with coaches more than anything is, you know, you got to listen and all that. But one of the first things I'll say to a coach is we can't have a conversation of one of us is yelling. And immediately, hopefully, they calm down. And now you have them in a conversation tone rather than screaming and yelling at you. Um, don't yell, let them scream at your back. Turn around. And if they're screaming about something, have the answer for them. Um, you know, the, 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 um, the, it's 6-0 on the team fouls. Do you have a specific question about a particular play? Or... Are you saying that I'm cheating? And you know what? When we get to the second half, if it's 6-0 in your favor, what are you going to say then? So, you know, you kind of – let's put the coaches on the spot a little bit. Um, some of the things – I just wrote down some notes to myself. If you can quote a rule or tell a coach, for instance, uh, he wants traveling, ask him which foot you have the pivot foot. Put them on the spot. Make them answer. Yep. I've had coaches. Well, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It has. It does matter. And you got. And that's when you can sit on. You got to know which is the pivot foot. I knew what was the left foot. I got his pivot foot right from the start. And so, what? Are, what is a coach going to say to that? Uh, no, you didn't. He doesn't. You just told him. I got that play from the start. Um. You know, sometimes uh, you get that high dribble and, you know, what they immediately start yelling is what? Discontinued dribble. You can get to the coach and go, he stayed on top of that ball or on, on the side of that ball. He did not get underneath it. He did not discontinue his dribble. That's a legal play. Another, uh, what else do coaches complain about? A player catches the ball and fumbles it. He might go a couple of different steps, right? But he hasn't caught the ball clean. And they're, yelling, they're screaming travel. No possession, no travel, coach. You got to have the possession to travel. And again, what can they really say about that? They might argue he had possession or not, but guess what? He was bobbling the ball. How many of us on the floor have given a technical foul? And what did I do? Right? Player says, what did I do? Or the coach says, what did he do? I used to tell a player, you don't know what you did? Well, then that's the issue. You don't even know what you're doing out here. Now, again, I'm going to be a smart ass a little bit. But, well, if you don't know what you did and you got a technical foul for it, I suggest you learn what you did. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with that. I, I think um, I think we need to stop explaining technical fouls to coaches. That's a given. Like, we don't need to tell an adult how, why they misbehaved. That's kind of my philosophy, right? Um, with the NBA players, same thing. I mean, if they don't have the self-awareness to know, as we start, 
you know, dropping down in levels. It's a good game management tool to let a coach know maybe why his player got one if he didn't see it. But I think Absolutely. we spend too much time explaining why. Yeah, at the high school level and the lower, that definitely high school for sure. Um, you know, an explanation to a coach because then he'll he will take care of his own player normally, and he might sit him down or he might say you you can't say stuff like that because um, you know they have a little more control over their players. Uh, but I think an explanation. Now, do you stop play and go over there? No. At the best convenient time now, maybe sometimes you're supposed to go to the C. Well, guess what? Switch up the rotation and go to the T, the trail, and now you got a chance to calm your coach down and tell him what was going on. Thank you for tuning in to Crown Refs Podcast. Today's quick hitter is on the qualities of a sports official. Sports officials, like any other vocation, come in many different packages. Some get by, some are good. A select few can be considered great in their field. You have seen your colleagues who fit into each of those categories. You have learned from many who we consider great sports officials. They shared common traits which ultimately set them apart from the rest. Here are a few of those qualities. Integrity. Great officials are the guardians of honesty in athletics. He must maintain a complete absence of bias. An official holds the position in the world of sports, not unlike a judge in a court of law. If you aspire to be a great official, you never put yourself in a position where your integrity can be questioned. Integrity of the game must always be upheld. Hustle. Officiating is a game of angles and positioning. Officiating hustle describes movement and court position. There is no connection to speed and meaningless motion. Every great official moves efficiently to be in the right place at the right time. It's the only way to see the entire play and make the correct call. Judgment. Great judgment is a byproduct of effort and experience. It goes beyond the rule book and includes an almost instinctive ability to apply the critical principle of advantage or disadvantage. This is at the heart of officiating that no team or player gets an unfair advantage or is placed at an unfair disadvantage. Communication. 90% of officiating is being a people person. Know how to deal with people. Listening is important and that's why we have two ears and one mouth. We listen twice as much as we speak. Communication means can you deal with people? Can you deal with coaches or players during a game? Communication can be accomplished in many ways. In most cases, the situation will dictate the appropriate response. Sometimes a simple response to the question, a one-word answer, or a look can communicate what is needed at a particular time. Saying the right thing to the right person at the right time can help one avoid potential problems in a game. Communication is also the knowledge of when is best not to say anything. Consistency. Young officials have more difficulty with consistency than any other quality, mainly because they lack the experience to realize when their decisions are inconsistent. Everyone has difficulty in this regard, but the great officials are unrelenting in their judgment. They see and call a game better than their colleagues. The key is to make the same call on the same kind of play, whether it's the first minute of a game or the score is tied with one minute left to play. If they believe an official is consistent, 
coaches and players will adjust accordingly. Inconsistent decisions on similar plays trigger negative behavior and poor sportsmanship among players and invite criticism from coaches. If you try and fail, it's a mistake. If you repeat the mistake, it's a decision. Confidence. There is a fine line between confidence and arrogance. Regardless of the situation, personalities involved, pressures from the crowd, or possible repercussions, great officials place fairness above all other concerns. They act confidently and accordingly to the dictates of that value. You have an obligation to hold yourself to a higher than normal ethical standard. Be a legacy leader. Common sense. I've saved this one for last. Of the qualities listed, common sense is the most important. That which is fair and right must take precedence throughout each game. Common sense ensures that fairness, understanding, and the best interests of the game are foremost in the mind of a great official. If you truly understand the spirit and intent of the rules, common sense will guide you well. Plenty of game situations develop that are not specifically covered by rules or mechanics. That's when common sense must take over. What is fair or what is right is what should be done. Common sense goes hand in hand with communication and dealing with coaches and players. It helps to determine how to handle a tough situation and whether a technical foul should or should not be called. I've covered only a few key elements that make a great official. There are many others besides the basic requirements that cannot be overlooked, such as physical appearance, knowledge of rules, mechanics, reliability, and professionalism. The qualities above of a sports official will set you apart from the rest. Thanks for listening to Crown Refs Podcast and being a member of Patreon. These are all tools for you to continue to self-develop. Continue to make a difference. Serve the game. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. to have a more patient whistle. Yeah. I know you thought about it, Jordan, but that's good. But I that's love what it. That's what we were talking about earlier it. when I said, all right, let it develop. Let me add something to that. Let yes. it develop. Let it start. Let it develop. Okay. Let it finish. Got it. Then decide. Okay. So let's add three more components to that. Okay. Start, develop, finish. Think, and that's what you were doing over there. You let it finish, and then you were deciding. And then you had a nice punch. I love it. What's your philosophy and belief when your partner calls a technical foul? Um, what's your interaction with the coach leading up if or after that, if any at all? Well, uh, it's a sore spot from to me and for me that your partner goes over to make good cop and make every you know uh, think he's the good guy and so forth. Um, I've had a couple different discussions in an NBA locker room that was not friendly for for someone doing that. Um, I think you should stay away from the coach. Uh, I, I think you've got to let the situation play it out a little bit. And now you're going over to a coach. He's screaming and pointing at your partner. And now it just doesn't look good. It looks like you guys are discussing your partner. You might be shaking your head now. And all everybody sees is the coach saying, your partner sucks. You're, you're nodding your head. And that doesn't make for, you know, a great uh, crew dynamic. Uh, I always felt that 
when you give a technical foul, you, you're always a little discombobulated for a moment. I don't care how many years you've been refereeing. If you have a partner after you have um, uh, reported your foul, technical foul, such and such, and you turn around and there's a partner waiting for you with the ball, let's say at the jump ball circle, Bill, go shoot down there, and he and you want him to get you away from the coach. You don't go on the side uh, down at the end that the coach you just gave a technical foul to, and stand at the free throw, you know, at the uh, at the uh, in the lane. Uh, you're just inviting, uh, you know, conversation. He should he should point you to get away from the coach, and you know, go down, shoot there, go down, shoot the other end, or you know, get your butt to slot, and we got the shot. So I think that, and then I believe also that speeds the game along, and doesn't give the coach this dead time to yell, scream, and go crazy on you. And that's a good pregame thing to talk about. Hey, we have a technical foul. If I have a technical foul, when I turn around, I, I need one of you guys pointing me in the right direction. Mm. And if you have a technical foul, turn around. I'll be there with the ball, and I'll tell you what, you know, and let's get this, you know, the free throws done, and let's get the ball back in play. And I was just, oh, my God, how did I get to the NBA? I suck. And I was just watching all these different <laughs> things that I was doing, and I was shaking my head, and I looked at my son and said, don't do that stuff, okay? I said, but back then, you know, that was accepted. Charging, charging plays, uh, you know, uh, the selling of calls. I'm a big believer that the more animation you put into your call, you receive that thing, that same feedback. That's the reaction that they have. Hmm. Whereas a lot of times, you know, not nonchalant, but just boom, red, you know, green, out of bounds, just Sharp, sharp signals. I don't think you need to start the baseline and end up at the free throw line selling a call. Um, I, I think that just brings more animation and the, and the coaches react to that. Whereas if you just, you know, boom, blue, and a nice sharp point, foul. Um, uh, you tend to get, I think, less reaction. Hi, I'm Dennis Stanton, athletic director at Southern Area High School. I want to make a quick announcement on a huge problem that we are faced with in youth and high school sports. We are experiencing a massive shortage of officials. There's been a slow decline in the amount of officials and referees that are available to work high school and youth games. This decline has drastically increased in the past two years, particularly in the state of Pennsylvania. According to a recent survey by the NASO, the National Association of Sports Officials, more than 75% of high school officials say adult behavior is the primary reason they quit. 80% of young officials hang up their stripes just two after two years of officiating. Due to the shortage of officials, many schools and leagues have had to postpone and cancel freshman, JV, and varsity games this season. If we continue on this trend, I truly believe that leagues and schools could potentially start to cancel entire seasons. I believe that it will start with the middle school level and eventually funnel up to the high school level. As an athletic director and fan of sports, I love the energy, passion, enthusiasm demonstrated by, by fans and parents alike. It is admired and the support of our school community um, and all school communities is necessary. However, when we yell, scream, and berate officials, a few different things happen. The first thing is it looks really bad for the school, for the team, for the community, and for, for your child. 
This is literally the only place where an adult can scream at the top of their lungs at another adult based on their interpretation of how they are performing at their job. Lastly and most importantly, when we scream at the officials or blame officials, we are subversively building in an excuse for our teams. We're providing a buffer to the failure, which ultimately stifles their growth as athletes and people. We always talk to our student athletes about facing failure and valuing failure and growing through failure. When we make excuses for outcomes of games or outcomes of calls, we're buffering that failure and we're limiting potential growth. My hope is that we can trend in a positive direction with respecting officials, not only so that we can continue to play the sports we love, but so that we can provide a more positive experience for players and fans. Crown Ref's mechanic tips. Your score the goal signal, one of them you had in the first half, it looked like you were punching. It looked like we were going the other way. So just try not to confuse your player control foul versus your score the goal signal. So maybe don't do it as punchy. Your score the goal signal should be a little bit more like our chop of the clock. Subtle, uh, keep it here. Or you can do the two finger flush. Two finger flush. But don't punch outward because then that's confusing it with another signal. Yeah. That that makes sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, And don't point to players too. I know a lot of times we're pointing to players like if if a technical foul, like do. It's similar to a bird dog, but it's also like an irritant. If I point at you, it's kind of annoying. (laughs) So just take that with you in the game, right? It kind of makes us like, oh, it's on you. So one one play you had, and this isn't a technical foul, you just had a foul and then you pointed to the player right away. Don't even point to the player who the foul's on. Dude, spot, white, 22, hold. That's how he's going to know who the foul's on. Three seconds later when you bring it to the table. But when we're like, then we look like a traffic cop. The rules of the game somewhat, you know, seem to be somewhat cyclical too in aspects. I mean, we keep trying to figure out how to appropriately call the block charge in the women's game. You know, so discussions keep going on. I mean, I know right now we have the RA and the LDB, but one of the discussions at this year's rules meeting was, do we still want that? And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. Are we going to go back to trying to figure out how to call the block charge without an RA or an LDB? Because in the beginning, it was like, we had no guidelines. And then we tried the guideline of the defense had to be out from had to be out in front of the rim well what did that mean did we drop a plumb line and they had to be what an inch in front of the plumb line or two and how do we judge that as we're running down the court full speed and then we went back to they can be anywhere so then a player goes to the hole defense is way under the basket but she lands on her prior to the ball passing through the hoop we then have to go nope it's an offensive foul The coach goes, are you kidding me? That's not, she's not playing good defense. And I go, I agree, but it's the rule. So I think we've decided this year anyway, to stay with the RA LGB, which I'm quite happy about, quite frankly. The rules, you mean, obviously, Ari was in the NBA when the NCAA adopted the monitor. And I specifically remember having a conversation with June going, "Uh uh-oh, this could get interesting. 
I said it depends on how many ills Pandora gets or how many positives Pandora gets. Where is this going to go? And we haven't seen the end of this. I don't know how, you know, how much are we going to add on to monitor reviews? I mean, the NBA keeps adding more. Jubby keeps adding. Where are we going to go? When's it going to stop? So that's, that's obviously is a huge evolution from where we used to be. Shoot, in the, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, we didn't even have video. You know, we didn't have video. So, I mean, that's a huge part of the game. And, and, right, and rightfully so. You need to use video. I mean, it's great. It's an unbelievable tool. It is an asset. Use it. We didn't have precision timing. You know, I was in the NBA when Mike Costable came up with that idea. Um, so, obviously, that's an evolution to the game. And so we can always debate sometimes if that's always positive, too. Because we have some interesting situations revolving all around that at times. Um, so our game looks a little different now. And I think the biggest impacts have been, you know, the monitor, you know, the morphing or the iterations of the roles. I think there's no huge differences from, you know, early 90s to now. Traveling, still traveling. We still try to figure out exactly, you know, we, we get the players and we're always playing catch up with the players, no matter what you're talking. Because we didn't know the single foot hop till LeBron James learned how to, you know, showed us that it was like, oh, geez, that was a travel. And now there are women who do the single foot hop. It's hard to do. Yeah. Oh, it is. But Cappy Pondexter started doing it really well in the W. Or you did, you know, the, you know, the axis travel. It's like where they just kind of do the heel toe, heel toe that we didn't know people were doing. All of a sudden they traveled three feet on the floor. So the video has helped us become better officials, but we're still trying to catch up with things that athletes do. How the women's game has progressed is remarkable. I, I, first of all, let's just look at the size and strength of the athletes. Now, in 1992, when you throw the ball up in the Final Four, you'd be lucky if your post player was six feet tall. I don't recall what they were. Quite frankly, somebody can go back and look at that. But you look at it this year, what are your post players? Six five, six six, six seven, six four. You're like, holy smokes. Your point guards are six two. Mm. And, you know, you go to an AEU camp or, you know, you go to camp and AEU players and we've got 15, 16 year olds who are six three. And not skinny. Now, so the athletes have changed. The athleticism has changed. The attitudes have changed. Talk about so. what it was like um, for officiating as a whole and for you to be able to have access to watching yourself. Never before, you know, when that, whenever they got the video, you know, you didn't get to watch your game. So that must have been very eye-opening when you did. <laughs> I think we're back to that word, humility. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It's very humbling. You went, oh my God, I make a duck face when I call a foul. Did I make a duck face? Why do I make a, you know, what, what the heck am I doing? Yeah, just little simple things like that or quirky behaviors, which unfortunately I still have some of them. But um, yeah, I mean, working, yeah, when I had the opportunity with the NBA and looking and having video Azure at camp and 
or I'm on the floor and Daryl Garrison is talking to me in my ear. <laughs> I was like, holy smokes, what's he doing? You know, I mean, there was just so much technology and obviously, you know, Daryl being, being one of the most brilliant minds in officiating and being able to learn from him was amazing. And having that kind of technology and the technology that officials have now, shame on you if you're not using it. Shame on you if you're not using it because it was not always that way. I mean, we we just thought we were fantastic all the time. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> we, we had no way to know one way or another, you know? So there is uh, definitely so many more tools to help us become better. And uh, I, I really welcome and appreciate that, you know, in my career now. 1982, the first, I don't know that many people even realize this, the first women's Final Four in 1982 was refereed the national championship. Here's a little tidbit for you. The national championship was refereed by Dan Woldridge and Marcy Weston. Now, Marcy, obviously women's official, Dan Woldridge had never refereed a women's game. And they assigned him, assigned him the women's national championship. Wow. Yeah. Talk Pretty about good. a slap to the face. <laughs> so, fortunately. Okay. So that's why I'm saying, let this be incentive, but keep, you know, we don't want to go back to that. We're, right. you know, but still, and, and FIBA was going through the same type of progress too, that, it was just acceptable that men could referee women's games, but the inverse or converse was not true. I mean, it didn't matter if the men had never worked a women's game, they could work it in the Olympics. Yeah. And the converse was never true. Now I did, you know, I did referee men's game in the Olympic, but I had been working the NBA. So they figured I might be able to referee men's game. It's just that type of history to, to us you know, in the women's game is just downright insulting. So we don't want to replicate that anymore. So that's why we need more women officials. And I'm not just saying it should be women refereeing women's games. I, I love the fact that there are men who are dedicated to the women's game who want to be part of our game too. But don't come over to our game just because you think you can do it because the men don't want to. <laughs> that's, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Yeah. That's a real thing. It's like, I can't make it in the men's game, but the women's game is so much easier. It may not be true. Yeah. So don't come to us with that attitude. Now, if you're really, obviously, you know, and there's many men who are dedicated to the women's game. Thank you. But I also would love to see a lot of, you know, young women come into our game. Dee, did you have any thoughts after you left the NBA of switching to do men's college? No, I actually was called about it. Okay. They called me. There was you know, a couple of supervisors called me and I just said, I'm done. Thank you. Very yeah. nice. I, I love the women's game. And and I just felt, you know, I, I just wanted to go back to not being challenged every game okay. at that point in my career. So, and I, I tell you, I, my heart is in the women's game and I love servicing it. So I was quite quite happy to go back to the women's game and again thankful to patty broderick and um you know all the different coordinators becky marshall at that time marie koch let me think who you know all of them who welcomed me back and i do appreciate that because they didn't have to 
I imagine your phone was ringing a lot that offseason, getting recruited back into college, right? Whether or not I answered it, I don't know. I was in a funk. <laughs> no, was, yeah, I don't know. It was it was fun. It was I, I appreciated the fact that I actually was welcomed back and you know, that was that was truly, you know, heartwarming. So well, D, this has been a real pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm learning a lot from you. I'm going to learn more as I go back and kind of, you know, edit the episode. It's a real pleasure to have you on. I think you are the greatest, if not one of the top three greatest officials that, you know, have, you. has walked this earth based on this remarkable career you've had. So it's a real wow. privilege to have you on. Thank, thank you so much. My privilege, Paul. And if I can be of help in any way, don't hesitate, okay? I appreciate it. I, will definitely... I hope you don't mind. I didn't listen to your podcast. I didn't mean to insult you by any means. You can't insult me, D. I'm I know, but you know, I just, I have, to, I do. For my own mental health, I have to take a break from it. I just take a break from officiating. You know, I take a, a few months off and I then, you know, I'm going to do Lisa's camp July 1st. And then I'll go back. You know, I was reading camp rules, but I just need to step away. So just circle back to it during next season once you're back in the mode. You can Absolutely. Pop, no. Pop. Once July, August, September, yeah, I'll get back into it. But I enjoy stepping away and just saying enough for now. Because I mean and you know, my friends deserve it, my family deserves it, my dog deserves it. It's like because it becomes and I have an O C D type of personality, which is why I look like this at sixty one. Okay, so I know what I need to do to just take a breath and refresh and be able to come back strong. How's that? Does that make sense to you? Sounds so much better. And, you know, it, it, it's just, there's such a world out here. And I think as officials, and I made the mistake, I got too sucked into it, that it was the be all end all. And I missed so much. And I don't want to miss all that now. So I'll get I'll get OCD about officiating again soon, but not right now. Well, best of luck. We we hope you have uh, many more years ahead of you. And oh, I don't know about all that. Don't don't put that. A few more. So, but thank you, Paul. Absolutely. And best to you. So thank you, and thank you for what you're doing. So I've always been fascinated with a segment that the NBA does called NBA Wired throughout some of their broadcasts where they feature either a player or a coach or sometimes even a referee where they're mic'd up so you can hear the sights and sounds of the game. You can get that kind of behind the scenes interaction between referee, coach, and player. And I've always found that to be the most fascinating content for officials. So I said, hey, why don't we do that for an entire game? The NBA only does it for about one or two minutes at a time. So I want to capture that the entire game, hear the sights and sounds of the game from the play calling to the interactions with my partners at timeouts to interactions with coaches. Hopefully some of them act up a little bit. I think that'll be something that referees definitely want to see. So that's what we're trying to create today. You good, partner? Here we go, guys. Let it go up high. Got you right here. 
Thank you, sir. Side out, sir. Good block. Good move. A right, little hit to the head action there. Pretty obvious. There's always something to be learned, right? Every game we walk out of it looking at our mistakes and trying to perfect our mistakes. Another aspect of it is the abuse that we take from players, coaches, fans, and parents. So, I mean, that took me years to kind of overcome to where I'm emotionally disconnected from all that now. But there's many nights going home, you know, uh, feeling a little upset for what somebody said to me because the, the things that you hear in officiating definitely will help you develop thick skin. If you don't have thick skin, you don't stand a chance. You're a game administrator, right? I just paid for the event. You're running the event. No, I'm not. You can't yell at the officials. You're part of the staff. Don't come on me. Don't come on me. I'm not putting the game back. I'm not an administrator. I just paid for the event. Hey, you can't yell at the officials. I'm going to tell game management. I'm telling you right now. Okay? So immediately when he starts yelling at you guys, over two calls. We have to address that. You right, can't right. be the site supervisor right. and yell at the official. Right. No, I paid for my ticket. I'm a spectator. I'm a parent. No, no, no. Oh, Don't embarrass no, yourself. Right, Don't right, embarrass right. yourself. Well, coaches are emotionally invested in the outcome of the game. So anytime they're giving us information, it's so their team can win. So it's not necessarily correct. So we're dealing with a lot of incorrect information that's being thrown out at us. And it's also in a disrespectful tone a lot of the times. And a lot of times they're trying to influence your decisions by shouting, that's a foul. How do you not call that? That's a horrible call. That's common language that we hear from coaches. Parents are way worse. They'll curse at you. This way. Blue five, blue five. Wraps them. No huddle in the paint, fellas. No huddle in the paint, okay? Don't flop, 12, don't flop. Coaches will come up to you every once in a while and kind of what I call it is a, a pre-order. They give you a pre-order on what you should be calling based on what happened in a previous game. So, hey, uh, uh, ref, number 45, we had him last game. He's a dirty player. Coach, whatever happened last game is none of my concern. I'm here to referee today and do the best job I can. Anytime a player comes up and asks about uh, a partner's call, I'm real honest with them. I don't want my partner explaining my call, so I'm not gonna explain his. And usually they like that response. Huh? That was me, yeah. I don't, I don't like to explain my partner's calls because I don't want him to explain mine. So your best answer would be to ask him directly, okay? Good question, though. I'm not gonna explain my partner's call any better than he can. And I don't want my partner to explain my call, so. If you can't explain it, don't call it. People come to me for an assortment of questions from play calling, to positioning, to game management, to communication. Game management and communication are two of the hardest aspects of this because we're dealing with the people, knowing what to say, how to say it, you know, trying to provide rule-based explanations that's still understandable. I have to communicate what's in the rule book in an understandable way to you. I can't just speak language right out of the book. You're not, you're not gonna relate to it and I'm gonna sound like a robot. So I, I definitely help a lot of officials with the communication aspect of the game. Yo, I had to warn your man. The coach who's on the baseline. You gotta talk to him. Kickball. Yo, so I had to warn him twice for yelling at the officials immediately. So you might want to let him know that's not gonna be tolerated. I'm not going to because he's okay. running this whole thing. No problem, but I told him if no, he's not you. gonna yell. Bro, he's gonna laugh the leave. Yeah, I got you. It's a bad look by him. 
You gotta have tremendously thick skin. You gotta be emotionless out there. You have to combine um, humility with confidence. If it's not, it's gonna come off as arrogance, but you have to be confident, but you gotta pair it with humility. That's a beautiful combination that can take you far. I wish all players were as cool as you. I like your coach too, he's a nice guy. I know you're not screaming N1 on my partner, right? I know you're not screaming N1 on my partner, right? It was Kid in White just scored a layup and then shouted N1 on my partner. Pretty close to him. So I wanted to make sure I let him know, please don't scream N1 on my partner. That was it. But I made, I kind of went out of my way to tell him because it was so fresh, the next possession. If I, if I wait a few minutes, he's already forgotten about it. So we got to nip it right away. Well, it was a pleasure working with you guys today. Oh, yeah. Anything that stood out from today? No, the, the only thing was I, I, I wish I would have came in with the secondary whistle. That kid, when he hit the floor, you was the lead. It was strong side lead. He went up. I thought there was some contact, but I thought you were going to get it. Mm -hmm. And I just froze for us. I was like, I should have came in and got it on the secondary whistle. But other than that, that was on. I didn't have a whistle on it? No. You oh, didn't. okay. You don't remember the play? The kid went up and he hit the ground hard. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Hit yeah. the ground hard. I didn't see. I thought there was some contact. Marshall From behind? Contact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was a few other whistles that you guys had kind of right in front of me, but you have the best look at it. it um, yeah, it started, uh, the defender started in your area, and then you have the best look at that side to side or what the contact does. You know, I'm kind of straight line there, so. You had to play the game. I had a, um, a similar, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't up in the air, but it was on a dribble. I, I called an offensive foul in the first half when he, when he wrapped around. He did kind of a full wrap. I always like to show it on the spot what he did, too. But after I went here, white. 25, wraps them, mm -hmm. kind of exaggerated the whole thing. But I was able to get through it. I knew it was a big game. I knew who I was working with. So <laughs> I had to I said, let me uh, summon some of this uh, old man strength and uh, <laughs> see if I can get up and down the court. But it was a pleasure. Yeah, awesome, awesome. coaches they don't care if you go it, shake your coach's hand this upcoming season they're not going to say oh yeah paul i saw you like man you were big time that's right, great to right, see right. you they're like paul i mean i need you got to be good tonight they, they don't care about they don't yesterday care. They don't, they, they're so focused on this game and their team and, and the winning they're so so officials sometimes we're our own worst enemy if, if we listen to all the pats on the back we get about how great we are you, you're going to start to be complacent i, I want to keep going this way, my drive is to be better this upcoming season than I've ever been in my career. You know, the fact that I didn't get to work the NCAA tournament, my goal this year is to be one hundred rest picked. You're yeah. coming back strong this year. I'm coming back strong. I'm gonna bring the good jail. I want to talk to Paul Mitchell, where they've already said we're shipping you the good stuff. Oh, I'm, I, I, my goal and JD said, you know, I said my goal JD is to be one hundred guys you pick next year. So I'm going into every game thinking this is the NCAA national championship game this year, Roger. Somebody, this is you want to do this, you get back on the horse and ride it. Don't get knocked down. It's like having a bad game. You have a bad game, do you quit? No. I, well, I had COVID. Did I quit? No. I'd lay in bed and I'd be thinking. You gotta get back out there. This is what you do. Whatever you do in life, whether it's military, police, whatever you do, if that's your passion, 
just because you have a sick day or you're, you're down, that's what you want in life. You got to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a passion for what you do. That's why you're one of the best at it. Thank you. And, and that's why people enjoy listening to your podcast because the energy you bring and the things you do to make us all better. Like people say, what are some of the things you do? I, say, I listen to Crown Raps. I listen to what Paul does because the speakers you have on, like, I think when I spoke in episode 100, the speaker before me, he was a WNBA women's coach. I don't remember. Dan Hughes. Dan Hughes. And one of the things you, you talked to him about was how he handles when, when a referee says, I missed the call or whatever. And his answer was, thank you. I, okay, I got it. No yeah. problem. And I was like, those are things I, I do. Those are, and, and that's a coach, at the high, a professional coach saying, yeah, when referee tells me missed the play, I, I'm okay. If a referee argues with me and says he didn't miss the I'm going to go at him. And I'm like... Those are things I do, but I'm, even at the level I'm at, I'm still trying to learn. I'm like, okay, Roger, the stuff you're doing, there's a coach telling Paul that, yeah, if, if a ref admits, admits he needs to call, I'm okay with it. Well, I'm like, okay, then this stuff really does work. So I'm still trying to improve every day. And any tidbit I can get from your podcast, I steal it. You know, and then I pass it on to others. I'm go, you know, did you guys listen to the Crown Refs? Did you hear that episode? Or, like, I'll be at the gym walking the track, and I'll just pop in on my phone and podcast. And, you know, Scott Foster or Al Batista or what just amazing what you can pick up little tips and maybe it's just one thing but if you keep adding one or two things to your repertoire every every day or every other day it's amazing what's going to wind up in your basket i can't i can't wait they won't do this i can't wait that you guys see what happens with those jelly beans i'm putting in that jar it's it's amazing what that's all about mm -hmm. but it's all part of our, our journey and that's what this camp is about the journey i appreciate your time i know you have a lot of campers coming in and uh, i want to get to them this is part of my new platform for officials called patreon so this is a private group is there anything okay. you want to say in closing to the officials that are watching uh no but thank you very much for listening to crown reps he's i'm one of his biggest fans and i hope you guys pick up some great tips here if you ever need anything at all paul has my contact info He'll get it to you. I'll be happy to answer any questions. And uh, let's go, Crown Refs. And sorry, serve that, the game. Thank you. And sorry that this camera doesn't show your hair as well as it should. Oh. That's my fault. Well, if, if I move over here, God, my hair looks better than yours. But... <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs podcast. Serve the game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You know, if Crown Refs has brought you any value in the past, I would really appreciate if you would consider joining us in our new private community for basketball officials on the Patreon and Discord apps. We have three different tiers of access and content available. We have Crown Refs Pro, Crown Refs Plus, and Crown Refs mentor. This is uh, next level stuff. If you've been a fan of the content or the podcast for the past few years, or you've been a day one supporter, um, this is the place to be. This is where we have our weekly training sessions on Zoom. This is where we have our live monthly podcast with special guests. This is where we are interacting every day on private channels. So would really uh, appreciate if you could join us in this community. We think you would flourish and definitely accelerate your skills as a basketball official. For more information, you can click the link in this episode description. Have a great day.